Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I don't like the talk of, uh, is this a springboard for a bunch of wins, you know? To come out with a series win is huge. Now we got to go to Washington, and uh, hopefully we can get a win tomorrow and then take a step from there. And he's going to drive one to right center to put the Nationals on top. Three, nothing. Garcia with a base hit to left center. Runner at second. He gets around the tag with a swim move. The Nats are doing everything right here. I got a lot about a, a couple different guys, the way that starts. I'm always interested to see how someone responds when things aren't going well. That's probably, honestly, the, the kind of game we lose earlier in the year. Jack goes out there, gives up five, locks it in, starts executing a lot better as the game went on, and gave us a shot. Smoked into center field. There's a run scoring hit. RBI number 36 for Paul Goldschmidt. And the Cardinals creeping back into the game. It's hit high in the air toward right field. Thomas back. Track wall. It's a game-time bomb. We've come all the way back from 5-0. And a line drive into center field. Robles playing way too deep. That's going to drop for a hit. Cardinals are first and thirding to death. It's 8-5. Jordan Hicks, boy, he is getting it done. Three and two-thirds, only one hit. Zero free passes and six strikeouts. During batting practice, I'm walking in the outfield. He made sure he came and got me. He said, if it's a safe situation, you better hand me the baseball. You can go to war with that guy any day. That's what you want to hear. And here it is from Hicks. He got him three days in a row. Jordan Hicks seals the deal for the Cardinals, who complete an amazing 8-6 comeback win. I hope you guys are excited. Let's let him hear it all the way down to Atlanta. We're still here. We're still here. Oh, yeah. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's been a crazy train kind of season here in St. Louis. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. It continued last night as the Cardinals get an 8-6 victory on the road in Washington. It's the first time they've had a comeback of at least five runs in 2023. In fact, it's been about three years since they've had a comeback that significant, Alex. It's just their 10th comeback on the season. The third time they've won this year after trailing at the beginning of the fifth inning you heard it there in the return Tommy Edmond said it best that is the type of game that this team does not win earlier in the season first of all because their outfield defense was a big part of why they were even in the game when they got to the middle portion of that one they end up with two outfield assists a great defensive play in center by Tommy Edmond late you had a really nice play by Nolan Gorman defensively as well those are the kinds of things that you weren't getting really up until the last week or so 
So you've got that on your side. Jack Flaherty, tough first couple of innings for him. And then he's able to figure out a way to get through more than six innings in that one. You lock it down at the back end of the bullpen with Jordan Hicks. Man, this is the kind of thing that we haven't seen because normally when one thing goes wrong, that is what ends up being the domino effect on the rest of the team. Yesterday, we saw them find ways to pick each other up. Defense props up Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty then props up the offense to have time to be able to make that comeback. And then late, the bullpen is able to prop up the rest of the team by finding a way to hold it down. Man, that is the kind of victory we have not seen a whole lot of out of this team. And it's the reason why today we can all take an optimistic tune on this St. Louis Cardinals team as they are now 30 and 43 winning three straight baby three straight victories. That is a winning streak here in St. Louis 30 and 43. And we are talking about optimism. You had me on the optimistic side until you said the record. I was good with the crazy train because all of this is just craziness acting like but then you got there and you you must be really on that crazy train. I'm ready buddy. We're buying in on this show. I don't know what the rest of St. Louis is doing but this show no, I got to leave this show because I'm not buying in. I, I don't think the text line will allow me to buy in for how my first two and a half months. This team could win the damn World Series and they're not going to allow me back on the train, which that is, is correct. I've dug that grave myself. Here's where I will say, though. It did intrigue me watching the team come back because I, for one, when it was 5 nothing, turned the game off. I'm thinking, no way. And then I checked back in a couple innings later, and then you see the highlights of the throws from the outfield that stunted the rally from Washington, and you're thinking, okay, build on it. And what did they do? Well, they built on it, and the offense showed up for them, and then they held on to it. And I know we're going to get into Jack Flaherty later, but good that he was able to calm that unstable horse that the Cardinals were riding on because that thing looked like it was about to be 12, 13, 4. He looked like he was about to be with the Angels once again where he gave up 10 runs and two and a third inning, but he found a way through it. But then when they took the lead, it just felt different. And I know you talked yesterday about how the vibe on the bench looks different, the body language. When they took the lead in that game for the first time all season, I sat there and said, man, they're going to hold on and win this thing. When was the last time you saw Ollie smile? I'm serious. When was the last time you saw Ollie smile on the television? Probably when he was hired the as manager. Game of the year. I mean, it's been a while, right? And the reason why I bring that up, did you see his face after the Nolan Gorman play defensively? I think he was more surprised that Nolan Gorman made that <laughs> sure. play. <laughs> fair. He's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? He looked over at me, queuing. He's like, we're never doing that one again, <laughs> right, Joe? I mean, it, it, you can feel it. There is sometimes, man, you walk into a room, there are some people that are energy givers. There are other people that are energy suckers. And for the vast majority of the season, the Cardinals, the team in general, they've been energy suckers. They suck the life out of you. What are those things in in Harry Potter, the Dementors? The Dementors. That's what the Cardinals have been the entire season. And now suddenly, and listen, it's three games. Like, we'll see if there's any any staying power. The Dementors are going to show up later on tonight. Sure. But right now it does feel like they're starting to give off. They're exuding that positive energy on one another. And that that can be infectious, man. When you start feeling the good vibrations going through that clubhouse, you're starting to see something that feels a little bit different than what we have been watching for the vast majority of the season. Really? T-Bone, are you ready? Really, Tim? To buy back in in good vibrations? No. Oh, God, no. no. <laughs> you, know, you know you can get that when you're not below 500. So, you're not 13 yeah. games below 500. <laughs> I, uh, well, look, they, they can build some momentum by the time we get to the All-Star break, but that's all it can be is it can be slight momentum. I'm not buying back in until this team's back at the 500. 
500 mark and probably sit in the top of this division because, look, Cincinnati's playing really well. They've won eight in a row. They have good vibrations. The Cardinals have like a little rock that just hit water and there's like the little ripple effect. And we'll see if it continues. But I, to your point, I, I think right now you can tell that they are kind of giving off good vibes now we'll see how that how long that continues but last night's one of those games that i definitely thought they were done and they weren't going to come back five nothing i thought for sure that's over because that's not a game they're going to win but offensively they're starting to get guys contribute the bottom of the order again is starting to hit paul DeYoung is playing better now since that new york Mets series and jack flaherty though he wasn't great yesterday he did one of those kind of I don't know what you would call, but the kind of okay. Awayno. He pulled uh, a Wayno. That's pull what a we call that a Wayno. Oh, see, I think he pulled a Jack. Oh, I think he pulled a Wayno because I thought for sure, like you said, it was going to be like the Angels outing. I thought they were going to the pin in the third or fourth yep. inning, but he was able to give his team a chance, buy them time to get back into that game. And the outfield defense looked really good yesterday. Tom Yemen, clearly their best center fielder, making that diving play at one point in that game. Lars Newbar showing off the arm. So I won't buy back in until they can really build some momentum and get back to 500. But this is a good start to get there. This is a start, though, for me. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line. This one comes from Marsha's Burner. BK, last week I asked how many wins it'll take in a row before you buy back in. I guessed four. I was close. I underestimated your optimism for this team. Oh, Tanner and I knew it. Took three for the Cardinals for me to I'm buy back in. Three, too. by the way, against the Mets and the Nationals. I don't care who <laughs> they play anymore. I've got a lot of that on the text line right now of, guys, look at who they're playing. It's the Mets and the Nat. I don't care. They got shut down against the Royals. They looked like crap against Cleveland. They didn't play well at all in Pittsburgh. Like, it does not matter who the opponent is for this team. If they're playing well, they can do that against just about anybody. When they're playing poorly, they can lose against anybody. So right now, it's not about the quality of the opposition. It's about whether or not you yourself are playing good ball. And right now, the Cardinals are. So I did want to ask you, and this will be the final thing here. The Cardinals are four series away, five series away now, technically, from the end of the first half of the season. Is there something you can see, whether it's a win total or just a style of play, whatever it might be? Is there something you can see down the stretch of the first half for you to buy back in, Alex? I mean, this to me, I told you in the office, this hasn't got me excited, but it definitely has relocated my eyesight because I didn't. I looked away from this Cardinals team, even when they started to do something. And now you've put back to back to back good victories behind you. None of that matters, though. I'm not going to be ready to say, like, okay, they figured this out until the Astros and Yankees series. And Katie Wu said that with us yesterday. That is going to be the ultimate test because we're going to get the jet lag conversation when you drop two against the Cubs in London of, oh, well, so they're tired. exhausted and came back. Doesn't matter to me. You go out there and you win the series against Houston and you play the way that you just played in these three games, maybe not give up six runs in the first two innings, but you play this way and win against the Astros and you play and win this way against the Yankees, two competent opponents. Yeah, I'll look at this and say, I got a different feel about this Cardinals team than what I originally did. There are three things for me. One's result driven and two our style of play. One, you got to win every series or split it. So like the Cubs series, two games, a split can happen. They got four in Miami, split can happen. But the three-game sets, you got to win two of three in those because they've got to start racking up series wins. 
Then the two other ones for me are style of play. Offense is going to have to be the reason they're winning these games because that's how they're going to win and climb back into this. And the third one is the back end of the bullpen really going to have to be shut down for me because Jordan Hicks looked awesome yesterday. That's going to have Love to continue. They're going to have to have Geo get back on track and they're going to have to find another third impact arm until Helsley is back. So those are the three things for me to kind of buy in by the time we get into the all-star break. They got 18 games left before the break. I need to see him win roughly 12 of them. Two out of three is kind of what you're looking at there. So win every series. 12 and six, yeah. But I don't need it to be like, they don't have to go two and one against the Yankees and two two and two against my, like it doesn't have to be a specific way that they go about it. Just win 12 of your next 18. You find a way to do that. I don't care how you do it. Just find a way to get to 12 out of 18. And you're going to be in a pretty good spot once you get to the break. No, that's not going to be the record that anybody was hoping for. You'll be about 42, 49. That's not ideal. But being 42 and 49 at the break in this division might be enough to be able to give you a chance in the second half of the season. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, the Cardinals are finally showing an ability to win these one-run games. Why is that? What's changing compared to what they had been doing previously? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's really nice to hear him confidently talk about the fact that the outfield defense is solidified and and think about how important it is in a two-run game, you know, one-run game. The Cardinals have played so many of those this season and, you know, even last night was a close game. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Alexa Dat on with the morning show earlier today. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. Alex, I think what she said there is important because the defense for this team has been a problem for the vast majority of the season. If you look at where the Cardinals are at in terms of defensive runs saved, it's a very simple statistic. Basically, how many runs are you saving based on the defense that you are playing? They're bottom five in Major League Baseball so far this year. They're at a negative 18, and that's improved from where it was at this point yesterday because yesterday they saved a bunch of runs with their defense. Meanwhile, you look at the rest of the division and it's no coincidence as to why some of these teams are playing well. The Brewers defense is propping up their pitching. They're at a plus 35. They've saved 35 runs defensively based on what they're doing. That's second best in Major League Baseball. Not hard to figure out why they're at or near the top of the NL Central right now. The Cubs don't do much of anything all that well other than pitch with their rotation and defend. They've got a plus 10 in terms of their defensive run saved. The Cardinals haven't had that ability for the vast majority of the season. And when you get into these one run games, the little things matter more than they do in their games that are decided by a significant margin. That's not breaking news, but specifically on the defensive side of the ball, man, that's where they've had an error or they've had a play that's just not quite made in the outfield or they've had a throw from the outfield where maybe you could have an assist, but in that situation, they don't have the right guys in those spots and now you're not able to throw out the runner. So teams are taking the extra base against them. It all adds up with a snowball effect. What you saw yesterday, it didn't end up being technically a one run game, but it was decided by two. That's the kind of game that you lose when your defense doesn't play the way that it did yesterday. Two outfield assists, great play in center field by Tommy Edmond, and then the outstanding play in the infield as well from Nolan Gorman late in that one. That's what won you that game. 
That's what yep. kept you in it early, and it's what won it for you late. You had three moments in that game that were head-dip moments for that team, and you just named them. If you don't make that throw in the outfield to get the out of that inning for Jack Flaherty, the head dips because you're probably down an insurmountable amount that you're not coming back from. The next head-dip moment was Tommy Edmond. He makes that miss on the diving play, goes past him for, I don't know, triple inside the park home run probably. Another moment that that Cardinals team says, well, once again, we're done. And then, the to me, that game was over if Nolan Gorman doesn't make those two plays at second base because with Jordan Hicks going back to back to back days you put two guys on in that situation I think heads start to roll there and that changed the outcome of the game and frankly for about a month and a half we've been seeing those moments the opposite direction we've seen the diving play that goes past the outfielder we've seen the ball that skirts off the infielder's glove and over his head and into the outfield for a double and the plays went their direction. And as much as I just don't agree with the bounces not going their way in the first month and a half of the season, it's obvious that they shifted yesterday because those three plays by the Cardinals could have just blown up and they would have taken a two-winning streak against the Mets and started off with another loss against the Nationals. And we would have been saying here today, once again, same Cardinals team. Yeah, they yesterday they were able to avoid that head-dip moment that you're talking about, and they also were able to avoid those massive momentum swings because when they fell down, now when they fell behind five nothing, it wasn't like it was a great start. But they scored two runs in the third inning. What happens? Jack Flaherty comes out and he throws up a zero, the most important zero you can throw yep. up in that spot. They score four in the fifth inning. What do they do? They throw up a zero in the fifth inning. So the fact matters that they're starting to play not just better defense, which is helping in these one-run games. They're also avoiding those massive momentum kind of swing moments. There were multiple multiple times when they struggled early on where it was okay the offense has either cut the lead in half or the offense gets things going and what happens the pitching staff gives up multiple runs the following inning so and, and I think they're doing a better job I think it came back to haunt them over the weekend but they're doing a better job of avoiding the leadoff walk sometimes there's still some pitchers that are having that issue but I think that's something as well but they are playing more fundamentally sound baseball. And when you do that, to BK's point, you are going to win more of these one-run games. And if you were to just win half of these one-run games that the Cardinals have been involved in, or more than what they have right now, you're talking about a team that we're really having a conversation of, hey, are they back into this thing in the NL Central? Instead of looking at them and going, ooh, 13 teams below 500, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to buy in just yet. Here are the records in the NL Central in one-run games. You tell me if you see any sort of a theme here. The Reds, 16 and 13. The Brewers, 11 and 4. The Pirates, 10 and 7. The Cubs, 7 and 11. The Cardinals, 8 and 16. 8 and 16 in one run games. That is the difference for you right now. If you, as T Bone said, just go 500 in those games, you're talking about four more wins. You're at 34 and 40 or 34 and 39 on the season. You're basically right there tied with the Pirates and the Cubs. And now instead of us talking about what does it take for you to get back in with this team, for you to believe again in this team, everybody's back in. Because yeah. at that point, you're just a couple of games back. You're like three and a half games back. You're not even halfway through the season. That is the way that it changes your perspective. And that does all come back down to what you're doing defensively. Somebody on the text line said, guys, what about the ball that the Nats center fielder missed on the Tommy Edmund triple? It feels like that ball would have been caught 100% of the time earlier in the season. First of all, agreed. Second of all, that ball might not matter if they don't make the plays earlier in that game. Yeah, That is why I think it's so important is because when that ball ends up dropping, you still suddenly feel oh the momentum might be shifting here in favor of the Cardinals if you don't make those plays in the outfield if you don't have those outfield assists now instead of that triple feeling like it's something that could get the ball heading in the right direction for the Cardinals it's just another play in another lost game of another lost season 
And that's the difference in the vibe that it can, because when you suddenly do get some of those breaks going your way, like we saw with the Jordan Walker hit that hit on the lip of the infields, and then it just it becomes another lost play and another lost game. This one mattered because you did the other things right. It, it requires you to do the little things correct for those momentum shifting plays to feel like they're pushing you in the right direction. And, and when you start making those great plays that we're talking about, like Tommy Emin made yesterday, everybody starts to play a little bit looser. I yeah. mean, we talked about when they started making those errors, like, I remember what the number is, but I, at Tommy Emin, I think his best position still is second base, and he made just uncharacteristic errors when he was playing there earlier in the year. And why is that? I, I think it's just those guys were playing tight because of what we're talking about of, oh man, look, this is one of the worst starts since 1907. They, they're playing up tight baseball. Well, now you start to make some of these plays that you shouldn't, and then all of a sudden it is, okay, here we go. We're, start, we're starting to build some momentum here, and that triple drops, as you said, like everything starts to kind of play more loose baseball. And I, I think that when the Cardinals have struggled this year, you can tell they're tight. You can tell they're playing with the, oh boy, one mistake is going to cost us a game. Yesterday felt like one of those games, again, early on, it's tough to read into. But once they made that play in center field, they scored two runs in the third inning. You go, okay, they're starting. You can tell something's happening. They're playing loose baseball. Everybody's got good vibes in that dugout. Like You could tell that that wasn't a, oh, boy, here we go again because everybody's so tight and just that one little mistake's going to cost us. Somebody on the text line asked, guys, do you think this all goes away if the Cardinals end up losing tonight? I don't know. I, th- that is something that is worth considering. It depends it's on how they lose. Yeah. Say the fashion of it. I, I I think that they're just I think what T-Bone just mentioned there is a really important piece to all of this. They are playing looser and I think there's a root cause for that. I don't know what it is. I would be curious to see if they would be honest about why that has changed or I if guess. it's just as simple as like, hey man, we saw the season like falling away from us and we just said to ourselves like let's just go out there and play. That's kind of what I was saying. My guess would be it'd be like, you know, let's just go out there and play like What's the worst thing that can happen? We're already the worst team in the NL. Yeah. Like, who really cares? Like, the best thing that we can do, we can play up to our potential. Yeah, but, but see, I don't think they have that mindset. I don't think they have that mindset. I think they do right now. They're playing that way right now. That's what it looks like on the field, and that's what it feels like when you're around the team right now. I'll be smiling you should. It tells yeah. you everything. <laughs> I just, th- this team doesn't give me that vibe. They still give me the vibe of, man, we can't make mistakes. Right now, like the last oh, three games. I don't games, feel that way at all. I mean, early in that game yesterday, you, you got shellacked, dude. Jack Flaherty was getting lit up. They were lucky to not be down by seven, eight, nine runs early in that one. And they made some plays. They were, that that play that Tommy Edmond made in center field, that is a play that you make because you're willing to take a risk. Previously, that is a play where the center fielder, whoever it, it was, lets it drop and they're going to play it conservatively. So that that is the kind of thing. And Tommy Edmond's been one of these guys that was playing tight, I think, earlier in the season. I think there's been a shift mentally. And if that shift is real, it might not be. You might end up being correct, Alex. If the shift is real, it won't matter what the result is tonight unless it goes like horrifically against them. And then they start saying, oh, here we go again. But I, I think that what we're seeing is real in terms of a shift with their mindset. It really just depends on if you've shaken off all of those demons and you got confidence back. Because uh, one, as much as I agree that, I mean, that was about as worse as you can ask for and you found a way to get out of it. But one loss and in, in a bad fashion can erase everything that you just built up for three games. That's why I've been saying you just got to keep building on this. I don't know how many wins you got to put together to shake the confidence. It really comes down to what that locker room believes. But if that's it, three games, great. But if not, man, you got to make sure that they're still not that fragile. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Get some of your questions in on the text line. We'll get to our answers coming up at 1145. But next, Jeremy Rutherford wrote earlier today about the recent era of Blues history 
He talks to Doug Armstrong about some of the most significant decisions that he's had to make over the last decade. What did he learn in that piece researching with Doug Armstrong? We'll talk to JR about it next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Taylor Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues insider for The Athletic. He joins us each and every Tuesday here on the show. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Good, good, guys. What's up? Uh, doing all right. So let's start out with your piece that you put up earlier today. And you've been working on this series over the last week or so for The Athletic, talking with Doug Armstrong about uh, what the last 15 years have been like for him here in St. Louis. If you had to pick one or two things that you learned from Doug Armstrong in your conversations, what would you say are the biggest things that have stood out for you? Yeah, just a couple things. I think some of the things are uh, probably thoughts we all had when they happened in real time. But to hear Doug Armstrong reflect on his 10-plus years as Blues GM and bring them up on his own. I think you go back to the Ryan Miller trade at the time. I was a big fan of that uh, trade, bringing Ryan Miller to St. Louis. You know, in this piece, Doug Armstrong says that he felt like they had decent goaltending, but they didn't have a star in goal. And they felt that bringing Ryan Miller uh, to St. Louis would be that guy. It didn't work out. And what I get from the Doug Armstrong interview is the lessons he learns. Look, he's been in this business for a long, long time. And he comes out in the article and says, I learned that you don't have to make a deal just to get your name and your team's name on TSN that day, the big trade like they did with Ryan Miller. And if you look years down the road, that had an impact on Doug Armstrong not making any moves at the trade deadline in 2018-19 when they went on to win the Cup. He said, I felt in part because of the Ryan Miller situation years earlier, you don't need to do that. You don't need to disrupt things. If you like your team, just roll with it. And so kind of the lessons learned throughout the years are what really hit me in the interview. Jared, the, the one quote that Doug Armstrong had to you in the piece that dropped earlier today was talking about the conversations he had with Alexander Steen, you know, when they traded away Stastny and Shattenkirk and Steen was questioning what the direction of the team was. And Doug basically told him, look, we know where our issues stand. It's down the middle and we're going to address them this offseason. Just stick with us. And what did he do? He got O'Reilly and Tyler Bozak, among others, and made a Stanley Cup championship. Yeah, exactly. My question, Jr. though, is do do you feel like he has that same tell with this team right now? Same, excuse me, same. Same like tell with this roster of where he knows the problems are at and how to fix them. Yeah, I think so. And let's go back to that Alexander Steen. uh, They had a coffee together, Doug Armstrong and Alexander Steen, back in 2018. You know, that's something that stuck out in the interview, too, where, you know, Doug Armstrong volunteered that information. He said he went and had a coffee with Alex and, and, and Steen says, what's the direction? Where are we going? And Doug's telling Alexander Steen, a veteran at that point, you know, let's just get some help down the middle. And they go into that next offseason, 
And as you mentioned, they go get Ryan O'Reilly. Doug Armstrong points out that also if that Ryan O'Reilly trade is made eight hours earlier, they don't get Tyler Bozak. And Tyler Bozak was a big part of that Stanley Cup run. So they, they don't sign Tyler Bozak in free agency if that Ryan O'Reilly trade gets done earlier. So that's something that comes. I think to answer your question that Doug Armstrong does have a definite feel for the situation right now, I just think it's different than when you go back and you look at that 2018-19 summer where he has the conversation with Steen. He realizes they're in more of a retool. Back then they had the team. you know. So in terms of a tell, what does he tell us in this interview that might have some impact on what he's going to do this offseason? I just think it's a little bit apples and oranges. They need to be competitive. They're in a bit of a retool here. I think he's got so many different options on the table, and he's just going to have to go with the best one, but a lot different than making a trade for Ryan O'Reilly back in 2000. JR, that's what I wanted to follow up on. We got about eight days now remaining until the NHL draft, and that's almost a soft deadline for some of the moves that the Blues could potentially make because that's when uh, you have to make a pick. If the Blues end up on the clock, whether it's at 10 or later in the draft when they've got picks number 25 and uh, 29 as well, uh, they're going to have to make those picks. And there's other teams that will view them as being lesser value once you've added a player that is put beside that pick, whether that's right or wrong. It's kind of the way that it works typically. When you think about what What's going to be presented to Doug Armstrong in the next week or so? Uh, what what kinds of opportunities do you think could be out there for Doug Armstrong if he makes some of those picks available? Yeah, I think uh, we all know that this is a deadline league, so all the things that he's talked about with teams in the past few months and even weeks, maybe even days, could come to fruition uh, in the next week or so before this draft. I, I think it's probably going to come closer to the draft. We all know the the plethora of options that he does have available. He could you know, trade those late first round picks to get a player who could help him next season. You know, does he think that they can be competitive and the player that's being presented as a guy who can get them over the hump or make them even more competitive? Or does he look at the situation and say, you know, hey, look, let's make these picks and let's continue on with this retool. You know, I think those are probably first and foremost. The wild card in all this is can he make a move involving one of these defensemen? That's what's going to unlock the key to make some sort of a bigger push or have some cap room to do something or just change the dynamic of the roster. You know, unless you're able to move one of those contracts, unless you're able to free up some cap space, I don't know that he can do anything else in terms of adding multiple players to make this a competitive team next year. So if that's not presented, then I believe they make the picks. Maybe they trade one of those late first round guys, uh, first round picks for a guy who can come in and help them. But I don't think that's going to be a big name or, or anything like that. So still many options on the table. The big key to all this is what happens if he can move one of those defensemen. Jared, do you buy anything into the rumors of Clayton Keller and St. Louis Blues being a match? Elliot Friedman had it yesterday on his podcast. Yeah, you know, that's one that I don't uh, kind of dismiss. I think that uh, he's a player who fits that age range. I think he fits the production. He showed that he could come back from the injury. You know, the whole hometown thing aside, grew up in the area you know i don't put too much stock into that when it comes to doug armstrong making a move like that is the player a fit for this organization i think he is not only for now uh, but also for the foreseeable future that's something that i think there could be some stock in and really that comes down to whether or not the blues would be willing to move jordan Cairo in such a deal right because that's the only way that you could make the money work and probably the type of piece that arizona would be looking for in return am i am i kind of reading that one correctly in your mind it could be. It could be. You know, I think you're probably right. But the one thing I'll say is this, you know, in talking to some people these past 
few weeks and months, you know, with the whole Matthew Kachuk thing coming up again because he played so well in the playoffs with Jordan Kyrou, even though he had a tremendous uh, season in terms of offense, um, you a lot of question marks about him and his future. You know, I, I talk to people and, and you go back to that trade with Calgary for Matthew Kachuk that Florida made. And at the time, we kind of thought that Jordan Kyrou would probably be part of that. That was going to offset some of the salary that they were going to acquire, uh, bringing Matthew Kachuk to St. Louis. And the feeling, the sentiment that I got is that they wanted to keep Jordan Kyrou. They wanted Thomas, Kachuk, Kyrou. They wanted that sort of uh, foundation to build on in the future. So, you know, whereas I agree with you that Kyrou could be part of some Clayton Keller package, uh, I do know truthfully, that uh, they would like Kyrie to be part of this, at least they have in the past, and that's the trend that they showed. It makes sense. I, if you can have Jordan Kyrie around, I, I would want to have Jordan Kyrie. I just don't know if you could make it work money-wise, and maybe that's right. why they end up not being in on the Keller sweepstakes, if that ends up being the case. Hey, JR, we appreciate the time, as always, man. We'll be talking with you again next week when we're just a couple of days at that point away from the NHL draft. Looking forward to that as we get some more of these rumors that are flying around the NHL. Enjoy it. We'll talk with you again soon, my man. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. You can find his work over there. You can also follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. That is where you can find any of his great work. Uh, Alex, just sticking on that theme here for just a moment. I think that if the Blues are going to make like these sweeping changes, a big move this offseason, like a lot of fans would like to see from them, if you're looking on the defensive side of things, you've got to open up a roster spot, which would require you to move on from one of the guys that you have on the blue line. And that requires some heavy lifting from Doug Armstrong in that regard. But on the forward side of things, like if you're going to add a significant salary, you have to remove a significant salary. And the one that they have that you could see how it could work is Jordan Cairo. Do I expect the Blues to move on from him this offseason? No. Do I think that if you got into a conversation with Arizona where Bill Armstrong is the general manager and he was a part of this organization when they got uh, Jordan Cairo and he was a part of the organization while they developed Jordan Cairo, do I think that would be a piece that would be of interest to him? Yes. And so when you're looking at how do you make such a deal possible, I think it starts and ends with a conversation of are you willing to include Jordan Cairo in this deal for Clayton Keller? Because otherwise you can't make it work cap wise. And really, there's no reason for the Arizona Coyotes to even discuss this with you unless they're getting a significant piece in return. Yeah. Well, and to JR's point of, you know, that didn't sound like St. Louis was interested in trading Jordan Cairo, even for Matthew Kachuk at the time, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, he was had 75 points in 74 games as a 23-year-old, and he was a plus 10. Like, he had a good season and only played like 16 and a half minutes. Now, that takes me to this offseason. Circumstances, I would imagine, if you're Doug Armstrong, have changed a little bit because he played more minutes, was more of a defensive liability. Yes, he was more productive or close to being the same production, but the opinion of that player may have changed in Doug Armstrong's eyes, but you're, or it didn't change. And that's part of the problem. Well, and if that's the case, you were then, expecting it to grow significantly this year. And it was more of kind of the same. But what I mean is you're going into this off season, not feeling the same way you felt last off season. If you look at it and say, Oh, well, we can't trade Jordan Cairo. He's a piece of this. I think we're saying the same thing in different ways. I think they were hoping that this year they saw significant growth right. from Jordan Cairo. And I don't think that they did. I think they saw a guy that looked basically the same as he did a year ago. And you put more responsibility on him exactly. and there were more issues on it. And but, so if you had this idea of him taking off in a significant way and he didn't well then now maybe your opinion of him hasn't changed at all 
And that's part of the problem is that you were hoping that it would take a significant well, step. Forward. And the one thing I always go back to with this, and, and we're not bringing up Jordan Cairo just because like, ah, get rid of Jordan Cairo. No, I love the player that Jordan Cairo is. We're bringing up Jordan Cairo because one, like you said, you're not getting something of substance unless you give something up and you got to make money work. But two, I go back to the comment of Doug Armstrong talking about this team is just not mature enough right now. And when you look around, you got a lot of guys who are a part of a Stanley Cup championship team. You got a lot of guys with playoff experience. Sure, you've got young guys but when you're talking about maturity you're talking about one player that's been in the open about I don't think that's what they're talking about though with maturity I think they're talking about like experience I I think they're I I think that's just they're Uh, synonymous with the way that he's talking I think there's some that goes into the work on the ice too when it comes to maturity because when you had that veteran group it was a group of guys that were out there to work and I don't know if they feel the same after this season with Cairo. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so speaking of maturity a guy that has a lot of that right now is Jordan Hicks. His mentality is exactly what the Cardinals have been lacking at the back end of games. We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour but coming up next 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Nine six four six is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the three one four guys. We're about three weeks prior to the break. What are the most likely or best possible trade candidates for the Cardinals? All of them. Let, let's operate under the assumption that this is real. They're winning three in a row. And now we're going to go on the upward trajectory from here. And they're going to be buyers at the deadline. Let's start there. I think Lucas Shielito makes a lot of sense for them. I know that's T-Bone's guy. I think he makes a lot of sense. I think it's the same candidates that we've really been talking about. Shane Bieber, you could throw into that conversation as well. And other than that, I think you start talking about bullpen arms. I think the way this team is constructed, if you could get like a Lucas Giolito and then a guy that you really trust in the seventh or eighth inning, I think those would be the route that I would try to go. And I don't know what the name is for that player. I mean, there's a million bullpen arms that you could look at. But um, even a guy like Carl Edwards Jr. Saw him the other night in or for Washington. Don't know that he specifically would be the guy that I would target, but he's a really solid middle innings reliever. That's the kind of guy that I would probably be trying to target. Yeah, I, I would start with starting pitching, though, and, and I would sure. go very strong after that because it's that is going to be the reason. If your offense figures it out, the starting pitching is going to be the reason that you choke in the playoffs this year if you make it. Um, so I would find a way. Giolito's great. Uh, Shane Bieber's always been my guy. I, I, I know Chris Sale was put to the 60-day IIL, so it doesn't sound like he's going to be an option for them. There will be more names that emerge as you get closer to it, but I'm not at the bullpen arm yet. I still think you need to figure out your starting pitching problem because I think it's both. I it, like I would not add the bullpen and be done. I would try to fix the rotation. I mean, as three well. of your starting pitchers, I could argue four, put you behind the eight ball by at least three runs in the first inning. That's a problem, and that's the guy you're going Agreed. to to start the playoffs well. I like to make them feel like they're going to win right off the bat, yeah. and then we just suck the life out yeah, of them. This so. consistent offense, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> but no, Giolito is my favorite target. Guy that comes in on a rental deal, strikes guys out. 
uh, you know what you're going to get with him. Another target for me would be, whether it be, uh, I think his name's pronounced Kenyon Middleton. I can't remember. He's in that White Sox bullpen. Also, Liam Hendricks makes a ton of sense yeah. for the St. Louis Cardinals. If he's healthy, I know he's on the IL right now. Also, another guy that would have control. He's probably a little too pricey that I don't know if they would do it. Boston falls out of it. You mentioned Chris Hale. Kenley Jansen would be a guy that I think is going to be a hot commodity at the uh, MLB trade deadline. I also like the idea of bringing in a potential outfielder too. Maybe it'd be a fourth outfield bat. Still? Yeah. Grichik would be the guy I would still. I still think there's room to bring him in because I just don't trust Carlson being out there in terms of offense. I I think Grichik can provide the same amount of defense, provide a little bit of pop and hit right-handed pitching. Now, granted, he struck out with runners at the corners last night and nobody out in the ninth inning. We won't talk about that, but I I still think Grichik's a target. I I think they need to address three areas if they're going to be by. I wouldn't mind them adding an outfielder, but right now I'm okay with where they're at. I want to see what it looks like with this current group where you've got basically four guys that are rotating on any given day for those three outfield spots. We'll see what that looks like as we get closer to the deadline. But as of today, I think I would be okay with it. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. This one comes from the 618. Guys, Bradley Beal, head into Phoenix. Does he make the Suns one of the best teams in the Western Conference going into next year? On paper, absolutely. I'm really curious to see what this ends up looking like. I've seen a lot of people compare it to the Brooklyn Nets where you've got like three stars and then a bunch of guys that are just kind of, eh, they're there. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think the thing that I find to be a little different about this Phoenix Suns configuration is that they're all actually on the court. Meanwhile, Kyrie Irving barely played. Uh, James Harden was hurt half the time with the Brooklyn Nets when it was that big three with those two and then KD. I think this team's going to be really good offensively. They're going to be a disaster defensively. I think that right now they're the second best team in the Western Conference on paper. I think it's Denver one, Phoenix two, and then you can have your conversation about who you want to throw into number three, but uh, Phoenix is going to be really good. I, I think this is going to be a really interesting spot for Bradley Beal and it'll be fun to watch him on a contender again I'll be interested to see what the dynamic is though with Durant and Beal and it's going to be intriguing to see how they mesh because of course every time Durant is around somebody other than OKC it hasn't meshed well but maybe that's the recipe here you put so many stars together with Booker and DeAndre Ayton also maybe you put so many stars Durant's not the uh, focus for that team yeah look again I'm kind of with Alex on paper they should be the second or best team in the Western Conference where it comes down to is are they going to gel well and I don't know who the guy is that's going to be kind of the distributor they don't have that true that's point my guard. biggest question and I, I don't know if they're going to have Booker be that guy maybe Beal becomes that guy um, also they seem like open-minded they've been getting calls on DeAndre Ayton I wouldn't move him but I, I know I he's been unhappy in Phoenix um, so I'm curious to see what happens there again they should be a team that on paper yes you should be per- looking at them and going yeah they can go on a finals run I, we've seen personalities clash in the NBA, and I, I fear they're going to be that team. Like I, I don't even know what their over-under is on wins yet. I would take the under on it because I could see where KD's not playing. Sure. They don't mesh well. takes him a while to figure things out. I'll also be interested. One of the byproducts of this trade is that Chris Paul is going to be available now. He's not yeah. going to play for the Wizards. I promise. He's not going to play for the Wizards this year. He's probably going to go play for either the Lakers or the Clippers. I think that's going to have a pretty big say in what happens in the Western Conference this year as well. I'm not trying to overstate what Chris Paul is at this point in his career. He's a fine player. I think he's an upgrade in a significant way, though, from what those two teams had a point guard last year. And they're not going to have to pay him anything because he's going to make his 25 mil this year, no matter what, because they're yeah. going to buy him out in Washington. So I will be curious to see where he goes. I think whoever ends up landing him, that team for me would fit into number three in the Western I Conference. I would almost guarantee you the Lakers are going to have Kyrie Irving, or not Kyrie Irving, uh, Chris 
Chris Paul, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Draymond Green on their team for next season. They can't. You can't make that work money-wise uh, with uh, Draymond. You but can't go um, minimum, salary minimum with it? For Draymond? Yeah. And he won't accept it. I mean, you could do it. Isn't he getting he paid like $27.5 million? No, he declined his option yesterday. Oh, okay. um, but uh, I, I do think Chris Paul is a real option for them. I, There's a lot of buzz, though, about the Clippers potentially landing Chris Paul, which would be a full circle moment for him, to say the least. I, I don't know that I go love from, that fit as much. Yeah, I was going to say, go from Lob City to PG and Kawhi, who are never on the floor. That that would be a whole lot of players that don't play a whole lot of games, to say the least. Coming up next, Jordan Hicks mentality. This is exactly what we've been looking for. It is the opposite of what we've seen, for example, from Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. This dude's always ready to take the ball, and it's something that the Cardinals have been desperately needing at the back end of their bull- bullpen. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Now think about this. He's the first Cardinal closer since someone oh who's pitched three days in a row. I think he understands this is a, a crowning moment in his career. He's unrestricted after this year. I think he's also sending a message to the rest of the team that, I got this. You know what? When you have a hammer like that, everybody else on the team feels like, man, if we can get this to the ninth inning, we're going to be okay. Jordan Hicks looks like a different pitcher right now, and he's a big part of the reason why the Cardinals are getting back on track over his last three games. The guy has been basically untouchable. You can go all the way back to his four-game stretch here as well, prior to him being the guy that's closing out games for the Cardinals. Four and two-thirds innings, two hits allowed, zero walks, seven strikeouts, obviously has not allowed a run, posing hitters batting just 133 against him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Claves on with the morning show earlier today. Alex, setting aside all of the numbers about Jordan Hicks for a moment, the biggest thing to me that's changed for him is his mentality. He's going out there and attacking opposing hitters. And maybe more importantly than that, he's attacking his job. Man, when you look at the way that the Cardinals have had to approach the ninth inning over the last couple of seasons, this is no shot against Ryan Helsley. I understand. I really do. Why they have been hesitant to use him consistently. That is a guy that you want healthy in October because of the stuff that he has. Well, right now, what you're seeing with Jordan Hicks, you're still getting that stuff at the back end of your bullpen. The difference, though, is... He's ready to attack. He's ready to go out there and take the ball every day that you need to give it to him. Three days in a row, saving out a game. For him to do that, this is the first time that we've seen this for the Cardinals since I think it was 2018. That's unbelievable, man. It is a super impressive thing, and it's something that allows, once again, the rest of the team to have faith that they're going to be able to close this thing out if they get, if they go on a run. If they're able to get a lead earlier in the game, we know we can hand the ball to Jordan Hicks in the ninth inning, and he's going to close this thing out for us. That is not something that the Cardinals have had a whole lot of confidence in prior to this recent stretch with him is completely changes the way that the we're looking at the Cardinals late innings right now. Yeah. I love the way that Klaibs phrased it earlier today on the opening drive. When they asked him what they're seeing, he said confidence, maturity, and testicles, because that's how Jordan Hicks is, is pitching right now. And uh, I, I made the comp in the office to you and I know they're different scenarios, but in terms of rallying the troops and frankly, if I look at the bullpen, making sure everybody gets on board and kind of gets that extra push because of Jordan Hicks's way, is what Alexander Steen did 
did with the Blues in 2018-2019 to where he accepted a role that probably didn't want to play, but he accepted it because he knew what was best for the team, and everyone said, if he's going to do that, then we need to jump on board and give it our all. Now, again, he's not accepting a role. He's stealing a role because he's pitching so well. But Jordan Hicks is getting into uncomfortable territory where you're pitching three consecutive days in closing situations and you were fire from the get-go. That If that doesn't ignite a fire for everybody else, at least in that bullpen, but frankly on that roster, that Jordan Hicks is doing something that not a lot of people do and doing it well, there's no other way that you can rally the troops. We could talk about late-inning home runs. We could talk about comebacks and diving plays. That moment by Jordan Hicks should have been the moment that everyone said, if he can do that then we need to go out there and give it our all. And frankly, I hope that's the jumping off point for them. It goes back to the Ollie quote that I always reference about Nolan Arenado last year where he said, and this is, it it kind of felt at the time, and now you look at it and you're like, oh, I knew what you were doing there. Felt like he was kind of subtweeting Tyler O'Neill, but he talked about how Nolan Arenado is an all-star because of the way that he plays through pain. Because he finds a way, even when his back is on fire or his knee is hurting him or whatever, to go out there and continue to perform. And for a lot of guys, the only way they perform is when things are 100% going their way. They feel 100% ready to go. They feel fresh. They are not hurting anywhere. Mentally, they're not fatigued. They haven't, they, they've had three off days in the last month. Like all of this thing, these things have to be going in their direction. Meanwhile, you've got guys like Arenado and Goldie who are like, yeah, let me know where I'm going to be at in the lineup. I'll go out there and perform for you. Whatever you need me to do on a day-to-day basis, I got you. That's Jordan Hicks right now. Jordan Hicks right now for the bullpen is basically saying, whatever you need, I got it. You need me to come in in the eighth inning to get the heart of the order? I got you. You need me to come in to be the closer for you because we don't have anybody else that's been able to get that job done so far this year? Got it. And he's going out there and he's throwing 104 miles per hour and he is locking down the back end of the game. That is the attitude that this team really needed. And for Jordan Hicks to be able to bring it right now, I mean, maybe it's too little too late. And yeah, it's happening against bad teams. I don't care. I don't care who you're throwing 104 against. If you throw it this way and you're commanding it in the zone, it's going to work. And that's what we're seeing. That excuse doesn't work for 104 miles an hour. Yeah, And and they need someone like this as the closer that has kind of that rubber arm. I mean, we always talk about this with Chris Stratton where it's like, not, not as effective and doesn't throw as hard, but it's, hey, I know that guy's going to be available. It just changes the way you can manage a game because sure. sometimes Ollie has to manage kind of, I don't want to say he's like managing with one arm tied behind his back, but if he has to start running through scenarios of, okay, if I use Helsley here, I can't use him tomorrow. Now with Jordan Hicks, now look, he's not going to be pitching today. If he sure. does, then th- that's a unbelievable arm he's got, but it can be a mindset of, okay, if I use Hicks today and he's effective today, he can probably pitch tomorrow. And next thing I know, we can lock down two of three right off the bat in a series, unlike with Helsley. And I, I do think there's something here. But with with Helsley where it was, okay, he's going to throw a day and then he probably needs a day off and then maybe he's available the next day. Like That can kind of hamper the way you're going to manage a bullpen. And though when you're winning, you don't really look at that like last year. We didn't really look at that and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's kind of hurting the Cardinals. This year it was kind of one of those where it's, okay, they got to be a little bit more cautious with the way they're doing managing their bullpen. Now they can play a little bit more aggressive. They can be more in attack mode because they can go, okay, we can use Hicks here and we can probably use Hicks tomorrow because he's got more of that rubber band arm. And it just changes everything for this team and a team that is going to have to start playing with 
or they're already playing with, but playing with that urgency of, hey, we've got to win this game. We've got to win this game to secure this series. And having a closer like this that can have that rubber band arm effect where he can be available two of three, three of four, that's huge for the St. Louis Cardinals, a team that's looking up at the basement of everybody else in the National League. The other thing it does is it helps you to determine the roles. And listen, BT talks about this all the time. That ninth inning, it's a little different. Mentally, physically, emotionally, it's different than any other inning that you come into the game to be able to try to get those three outs. The three hardest outs of the game are the three last outs of the game to be able to get as a bullpen arm. And for Jordan Hicks, who's done this job before, we know he's capable of it. He just won each of the last three games in terms of closing these things out. That's the guy that has the mental fortitude to be able to do it. And so when you look at it from there, now I can start putting my bullpen into place behind him. So the eighth inning right now, while Helsley is out, Gio's got that for me. The seventh inning, I can mix and match depending on who's coming up with the best possible matchups for me. Maybe one day it's Hennessy's Cabrera. Maybe the next day it ends up being a guy like Andre Pallante. The next day, depending on what you've got out there, maybe Chris Stratton fits into that mix. You've got different options that are available to you. And then when Helsley comes back, you can piece him into that group as well. It just makes things a lot easier, not just for for Ali Marmol to decide what he's going to go with and win, but also for these players to know what specifically their role is on any given day. I don't think it has as much importance as some others do, but it doesn't have zero. There is some importance to knowing what kind of a role you're going to come into on an any given day basis. And Alex, I did want to ask you this as a follow up. Because we're talking a lot about this. You know, they've won the last three games. We're feeling good about the Cardinals right now. It's all looking great. I wanted to ask you if the Cardinals could do what the Reds have done. Because if you look back, I think it was uh, Ryan Fagan who tweeted this out yesterday. The NL Central standings after June 9th. So we're talking about 10 days, basically. On June 9th, the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Milwaukee Brewers were tied for first place in the NL Central. They were 34 and 30. The Cincinnati Reds were third in the NL Central, five games back of those two teams at 29 and 35. They were six games under 500 10 days ago. Yesterday, for the first time, the Reds got up to first place in this division. They are now 38 and 35. So they have won nine consecutive games, and over that 10-day stretch, they went from being five games back in the division to a half game up in the division. Does the Reds' recent surge and the fact that in a 10-game stretch, a 10-day stretch, they were able to go from third to first in the division, does that give you any added hope, any added belief that the Cardinals can do something similar if they have a 10- to 15-game hot stretch? I mean, it has to give you belief because, you know, Central's so freaking bad that, yeah, you can do that. The difference is it gives me confidence that it can be done. It doesn't give me confidence that the Cardinals will get it done because, as much as we see this three-game win streak and think that you can continue to build it, all it takes is one or two losses where you're right back into that hole. But yeah, for how bad this NL Central is, from Milwaukee just is sputtering downward faster and faster. Same can be said about the Cubs, although they're kind of in the middle right now. And then you've got the Pirates. Yeah, an NL Central being this bad and all you're chasing is the Cincinnati Reds, a 9-10 game win streak, or you take 8 out of 10, yeah, that could put you back in the conversation by the trade deadline like we've talked about of, yeah, this team probably can make uh, get it done just to win the division. The question just remains to be seen if this Cardinals team actually can do it. Yeah, I, I think it can be done. I mean, we're talking a 10-game stretch kind of in that frame to get back into the race of the division. That doesn't mean you're good. It just means you're 
up near the top of a bad division. But I, I think it can be done because I think it's twofold. I, I think one, though the pitching is bad and does need to be improved, we've seen stretches where the rotation has been fine, and we've seen stretches where the bulb can be fine. So I think it's overstated too. Their pitching has been fine for like two months now. Eh, it's been fine, but I look at that rotation. I don't think it's good. I don't um, either, but I think that it's relative to the rest of the league been fine. Everybody's pitching stinks this year, yeah, man. But, uh, yeah, it, was I, a good, it was a fine performance but yesterday. I, I, I think if your pitching can, we've seen in stretch where the pitching in 10 games can go two turns to the rotation, you'd be fine. Bullpen can help close it out now that you got a 104 mile an hour sinker baller thrown and closing things out. And the other thing for me, and this is what I, I highlight as the one that would have to happen probably, is what, what would you say was the reason the Reds kind of went on this winning streak? Ellie De La Cruz brought some energy to this team. And a lot of people go, the Cardinals don't have that. They do. He's, he was DH yesterday, yeah. and that's Jordan Walker. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Walker's playing really well. He's hitting above 300 right now. He goes on like a 10-game stretch where he's just tearing the cover off the ball, and he's hitting like 350, and he's showing power. He can be the guy that can provide a spark, a much-needed spark to this lineup alongside somebody else getting hot, like, say, Contreras gets hot, that, too. That's exactly who I was going to bring up. You know who else can bring some energy? Contreras. The guy that's hitting 200 on or the Newport season. Or Newpar, too. Newpar yeah. could do it as well. If, if he gets hot as well, he's going to be doing the pepper grinder out there at second. Like, or got Oscar the, Mercado. Yeah, okay. no, I don't think so. <laughs> so settle down. <laughs> settle down over there, big guy. It's <laughs> defense, right, guys? Uh, but I, I think they've got the they've got the pieces to go on that run. Again, I'm not saying they're going to be a team that they go on a run they're, like, the best team in baseball. No, like, they can do a 10-game stretch where they climb back in the NL Central because that division is... Is so bad. And they've got those guys that can provide that kind of energy boost that this team would need. Hey, man, if this Cardinals team, by the way, I'm subtweeting all of you crazy people that are on the text line right now. Yeah, you, you, and you. Whoa. If they go on a run to where they are in the potentially winning winning this division, if they're in that kind of atmosphere at the end of the season, yeah, they're going to be able to potentially go on a run in the playoffs. That okay. is something. Okay. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. No, no, no. <laughs> This is like when the Cardinals won one game and you tweeted me, said Cardinals back, Alex, no, no, and then no, they no. dropped I'm not the doing next that. two. I'm not doing that. I'm talking about it in a hypothetical scenario where the Cardinals end up winning 85 games this year. That means that they have won 55 of their next, like, 80 games, something like that. Like, this team would have to go on a crazy run the rest of the way to be able to win this division and to get into the postseason. If they are capable of that, I'm not sure they are. If they end up doing it, though... We will all convince ourselves by the end of the season that they are also capable of doing something that the Phillies did a year ago. Every single one of us. And if you think that I'm lying, man, let's have a conversation in September. Let's see where you guys are at. Because they would have to go on an all-time great run in order to get back into this conversation. I'm going to learn my lesson from previous October blunders. I was going to say, it's not going to happen for me. You guys can keep being pessimists and keep hating on the Cardinals. I'll be the one that's over here being optimistic. Pessimism, I call it realism. Because the last two, three seasons, it's been terrible. Keep that same energy up again. When you cry in October after being swept by, I don't even know who yet. How that MVP? I will allow myself... To get hurt by this team again. Don't you guys yeah, worry. I'll take, it, I'll take one for the hey, team. How did that NL MVP do in the postseason last year for the Cardinals? Yeah, he did, it didn't work. And oh, if, they, yeah. if he doesn't hit again, they're going to get swept. And like, welcome to my realism. I'm sorry you don't like sports. You don't allow yourself to be a fan. I'm sorry that I do like sports and I do allow uh, myself to be a fan. Talk to me I in like our Talk to me from October to April. I allow myself to be a fan. <laughs> yeah, we know that's true. <laughs> Coming up next, how does Doug Armstrong speaking to being a fan make the unlikely possible? Alex gonna oh, tell you the Blues it. are winning the Stanley Cup next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. get to 
Doug Armstrong here in just a minute. I want to revisit our last segment here for a moment because you guys were uh, being, talking crazy. I the think Cardinals, you're talking crazy. The Cardinals right now are 30 and 43 on the season. If they were to go on a miraculous run where they got to 85 wins, I'm not saying they're getting to 95 or something ridiculous. If they get to 85 wins, which, let's be honest, probably what it's going to take to win the NL Central this year, right? You guys think that's about fair? Yeah. 85 wins? They would have to go. <laughs> they would have to go fifty-five and thirty-four the rest of the way. To put that in context, here's the entire list of teams that have been better so far this season in terms of their winning percentage, not just in the National League and all of Major League Baseball. Tampa, Atlanta, Texas. In other words, the list of teams that we currently believe are the favorites to win the World Series. Those are the teams that have done what I'm talking about the Cardinals doing the rest of the way, except the Cardinals would have to do it for a longer stretch of games than what those teams have done it so far this season, because we're not quite halfway through the year. The reason I bring that up, if you guys think all of St. Louis will not be on board, oh, I if know they were to go on that, St. Louis will fall for it. And you guys are going to be out here hating on the team going into the playoffs. Yeah, they just won the team. 55 of their last 89 games. They went on a 17-game win streak. What was that? Two we years believed. ago. We Yeah, and I've... You know what happened? I saw him get beat and no <laughs> offense, and I said, I can't do this again. You know, one-game sample. Okay, buddy. <laughs> this one-game sample thing, you saw three last year, and they still choked. I yeah, saw, that's I four saw and two, two I years. I saw two personally, but it's actually three games in the last two that's years. That's fine, and your bats have choked every single season. So until they go out there and actually perform on a big stage, yeah, I'm going to be pessimistic. I mean, I could say the same thing about the Blues in the playoffs. The Blues over the last few years Absolutely. haven't been great in the but playoffs But you know what either. they did two years ago? They took the Stanley Cup well, champion to game years six. Ago. They, no, two two years, years ago, they won the Cup, and then two years ago, they lost in the playoffs. I could say the same thing about the, the Cardinals. Cardinals took last year, up until the very last inning, the team that won the National League right up to the edge. That and was they nearly in game got one, them. and then got shellacked in game two. I mean, it was a close game, but... Th- I mean, what? It was a close game last year. I you was are, there. By the boy, numbers, it was close, boy, but being you there, it was not. convincing yourself. I mean, they, they lost two to nothing. Yeah, it, it, never felt, it never felt close. If you think that this team is not as close right now as the Blues have been in recent years, All I don't know, know what to tell you. The Blues won a series, and the Cardinals haven't in three years. Touche. So, the reason I bring that up, Four we're years. all going to be believing whenever they get to the end of the season. Alright, let's set that aside for a second. Let's go to the St. Louis Blues, who Alex already believes in, despite the fact that their general manager has come out and said publicly, it is a retool era I think he's for crazy for Louis that too, Blues. just to be fair, I just so we know. If, I believe if they make the right moves, so we can Alex, get there. The fast lane yesterday made me upset. It's going to be up They make me upset all the time too, man. There were two things that happened. First, they had a question in their sports six-pack where they were asked who would be the best general manager. BK, no. If they, at our station, if they were put in charge of the Cardinals. And Stalter opened up by saying, I think Jamie would be a great general manager because he's done it before. He found a guy in a parking lot once and then hired him to be a part of his team. I said, okay, that's fair. I get that. And then Jamie said it would be Stalter because, you know, they're they're friends. They're on the show together. Yeah, it sounds like up. the Cardinals locker room. A lot of loving going on. <laughs> if the same question came up, I'd have said BK first and then me. Fair. Uh, I would and, not have. And then Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you hate the you show. You played Marsh's role. Yeah. You said Randy. I've never been more upset in my life. I think I would be great at the Cardinals. Far, how manager. far down the list did they get before they said I your name? I didn't get any further because then they went into story time. Oh, you know, it was a good segment. It ended up being great. I enjoyed it. It was how fun. How far do you think they'd get down before they got to BK's about it. name? I'm trying to place, replace Willie today. Like, no, no. Yeah. So the reason I bring that up is because there was another thing that also made me upset about their show. Jamie was asked about Clayton Keller. 
And he poo-pooed all over the idea of the car of the Blues being able to acquire somebody like Clayton Keller because it's gonna be really hard. It's hard to make it work money-wise. You know who disagrees with him? Craig Button. Craig Button said it's their job to make it work in terms of the salary cap. And I'll be damned, I agree with Craig Button. What Jamie said was totally thoughtful and a very realistic ex- uh, expectation of what the Blues can do this offseason. Way to make sure you stay breathing today. <laughs> Let's be unrealistic for a second. If Doug Armstrong wanted to make the unlikely possible, Alex, how does it happen? If he wanted to make big moves going into the offseason the way that Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet said on his podcast the other day, he believes that Doug Armstrong would like to make some serious shakeups to this roster. How does he make that possible? Are we talking on the Clayton Keller side or just in general? However you want to take this, because take this the, in any direction. Because the Clayton Keller, I, I think that's one way to go about it, or we've brought up the Mitch Marner in past, but that's getting really unrealistic. So we'll stick in somewhat of the unrealistic, but maybe I, I think if you're going to make some big noise and a big shakeup for a team that you're trying to retool quick, you call up Arizona and you flip Kyrou for Clayton Keller. And right there, I think you're... You're sub- you're substituting one player for the other. Very similar styles. One has been in the league a little bit longer, and one's a little older, but he's saving you a million dollars. And then the what, next way to go about it is you pay the price to offset one of those defensemen, more than likely a Nick Letty, to save $4 million. And then you go find yourself another defenseman who I brought up in the past, Noah Hannafin. A lot of that is probably going to take more than what you're willing to cough up. But if you just look at the roster that you've just built in that spot in an unrealistic world, you've added a player who is the same as Kyrie was with an 80 point potential, maybe more Who's 24 years old offensively. You've got your offense set up and you're hoping that you can still find. Well, if we're going to go down this path also, you can trade that first run pick to get Ross Colton, but you've got the pieces in place in your system that can be a part of it in a couple of years, but then you've upgraded your defense by still having Tory Krug on this roster, but your f- top four would be a Hannafin Krug Pareko and Falk and as much as that sounds unrealistic, that's how you can shake it up as much as Doug Armstrong could potentially shake it up. Now, let me play devil's advocate for a moment. Let me start with the Keller side of things. If I'm Arizona, why am I taking on Jordan Cairo and trading Clayton Keller when the Blues in this scenario clearly believe Keller is better? Why, as the Arizona Coyotes general manager, I'll play the role of Bill Armstrong. Why am I giving up Clayton Keller to you for Jordan Cairo when you clearly believe that Keller is the better asset? You don't have to, but you got a player that doesn't want to be in Arizona right now. And as much as you want to just say, well, bleep it, you signed the contract. If you're Bill Armstrong, you're going through it for the next three, four, five seasons. I don't know if you want that on your roster. The same reason you just moved Jacob Chikrin. You didn't want to move Jacob Chikrin, but Jacob Chikrin got to the point where he was very outspoken about not wanting to be in Arizona. And it was a problem, at least from the front office's standpoint of the growth with the younger players. If you've got the veterans who don't want to be in Arizona difference though, is the contract, right? Because this one is five years remaining. Whereas Chikrin was what? Two more years remaining. Yeah. Two more years remaining. And it was a lot easier to, to flip that and get prospect or or assets back in return. But the other reason on this one is you're acquiring a player who's already signed an eight year contract and you've got him at 23 years old. And guess what? He's not going anywhere moving forward. And who knows? Maybe he becomes disgruntled, but at that point, then you're just continuously flipping pieces for assets. And in a rebuild, that's going to take a while. So follow up to that, then. Is there an appetite for Nick Letty? 
Because you mentioned one of the first things that you would have to do is get rid of the contracts, at least one of the contracts that are on your blue line right now in order to make the Hannafin things happen. Can you do that? Would Doug be willing to do what is necessary that's the part, in order to do that? That's the part that gets to the unrealistic part. I think you can, because if you're a team like the Anaheim Ducks, you've got a very young defense right now, and you're going to be building for a while. You need a veteran presence back there. And Nick Letty, who's making $4 million for the next four seasons, three seasons, Sure, that would make sense to bring in a guy who's 32 years old, who's been on a Stanley Cup championship team, who's been through a lot to help guide these younger players. But you're going to have to pay probably a second round draft pick to get rid of it. And I don't think Doug would do that. Now, if Doug's willing to cough that up, I, I there I think there will be multiple teams that would be willing because one, you got to get to the salary cap floor. And two, some teams would want a more veteran defenseman on their roster. Anaheim's the one to me that I bring up because Pierre Lebrun has brought his name up. And the problem is your guys have no trade clauses. Are they going to want to go to Anaheim? And welcome to the difficult part of selling this roster right now. I mean, he's done it before. I mean, he's found ways to move pieces that didn't want to be moved and still found ways to move them out and bring somebody in. But that's the part that becomes really unrealistic. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line to put a put a bow on this thing from the 618. Do you guys think that Arizona would be interested in one of Pareko or Krug? I think maybe, but I think that the Blues would not be able to move them to Arizona because Pareko and Krug both have no trade clauses. They have a say in where they would want to go. And Pareko and Krug are not accepting. I can exclusively report without talking to either player or either agent. Neither of those players want to go play for Arizona. Because nobody in the NHL wants wants to play for Arizona right now. So they're not going to waive their no trade clause for that scenario. The only reason why Kairou can even be involved in this conversation right now is because he does not yet have his no trade clause as a part of his contract. I think that kicks in either next year or the year after. Um, so that that is the way that you would have to make it work. If you're trying to make a big move for a forward, you got to include Jordan Kairou in that conversation. And then it becomes a question of, as we talked about earlier with JR, do the Blues want to do that? Answer it's probably no. And so then you do end up kind of with a similar roster to what you have right now, maybe adding a center to the mix. But that's how you make the unrealistic possible. You got to be willing to talk on Jordan Cairo on the front end. You got to be able to be willing to move one of your guys on the blue line uh, on the other side of things. Those are the two things that would be necessary in order to make a move on either your forward lines or on your defense group, defensive group if you want to make a significant improvement this offseason. Coming up next, the Cardinals' key contributors. Man, it is starting to fall into place for them. Is this something we can count on, though, moving forward? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The junk tour is coming up in about 10 minutes. Alex, the biggest change that we've seen over the last few days is, I mean, there's a lot of them. You've seen the back end of the bullpen finally picking up their end of the bargain. You've seen the defense coming through for the pitchers to be able to keep them in games later. But really, to me, the biggest thing is your offense is starting to come through in key critical spots again. Yesterday, five for eight with runners in scoring position, and it's the players that came through that stands out to me. It's Wilson Contreras. It's Nolan Arenado. It's Brendan Donovan, Paul Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond. When we thought in spring training about what this lineup would look like, it should have looked like this. It should have been something like your top five in the order being Donovan, Goldie, Newt Bar. Now, if you thought it was two, three, switch the other direction, fine. But this is in your top five. 
Arenado and Contreras. If this team is going to get things going offensively the way that we saw for that 14-game stretch when they were outslugging all of their problems, it is going to require Brendan Donovan getting on base at an exceptionally high rate the way that he did last year. And this month, he's been on base more than 40% of the time. It's going to require Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado to play like the MVP candidates that they should be. And it's going to require Lars Newtbar to be an accent piece and Wilson Contreras to be the bat that they signed him to be. There's other stuff that you'd love to see come around. Jordan Walker, just keep being what you are right now, buddy. You're batting 300 on the season. You now have two multi or two 10 plus game hitting streaks since coming up to the big leagues. Uh, this is great. Everything you're doing, just stay that way. Nolan Gorman, if you could get back to the guy that you were at the beginning of the season, that'd be awesome. But those top five guys in your lineup, that's really where the focus needs to be in order for this team to be able to keep things going. Yeah, and I know we were having fun with it the last couple of segments, but that to me was the reason that this team faltered the last few seasons in the postseason because as much as you need Goldie and Arenado to hit, you do need those complimentary pieces to pick them up when they're not there and unfortunately those all disappeared for the Cardinals and right now the recipe for success is exactly what this Cardinals team tried to accomplish in the offseason you've got your big three in Goldschmidt Arenado and Wilson Contreras and I know Wilson hasn't been the third of the big three it was Nolan Gorman but insert whichever name here if if Gorman's going to do it for a month and Contreras takes off and then Contreras goes and Gorman takes off fine but you need one of those two to be the big three and then from there it's the complimentary pieces You've got Newtbar, who's got additional power and the on-base ability. You've got Donovan, who's an on-base machine. And then I typically believe now that Jordan Walker has to be a recipe for this team's success. Right. I think you need four bats at any given time. Yeah. And right now, Jordan Walker's one of those four. And Jordan Walker is to this team, what we just talked about with Ellie De La Cruz and the Cincinnati Reds. He's providing a spark to you, and if you look at the span where he went on his hot streak, the beginning of the season and right now, that's when started success formed around this Cardinals team. So, to me, that's it. It's your big three, it's the Donovans and the Newt Bars, and then it's Jordan Walker. If you get those three areas going, to me, even if your pitching struggles, that is going to carry you as far as you think you can go. Yeah, this team's whole success is just based around offense. It doesn't really matter what the pitching does. You'd like it to be better than what it has been at times throughout the year. But when they win games, they win because they're an offensive identity team. And, and Mo said that coming into the year, that, hey, if we're going to win ball games, it's going to be our offense. And why is that? Because of those bats that we're talking about. We're talking about... Goldie playing well, who's played at a really high level all year long. He has had a couple stretches where he's gone cold, but for the most part, he's been good all year. Arnado's been really good of late as well. Contreras, if he turns it on, we saw you saw a stretch. It was a very small stretch, but you did see a stretch earlier in the year where, hey, when Contreras gets hot, he's the guy that you signed to be that third impact bat, and then it comes down to Gorman or Walker. Who's going to be that fourth bat for this team? And Donovan's back to getting back on base. I just saw something tweeted out uh, in the last month. He's got like a 400 on base percentage, so he's back to being the same guy that he was. Oh, did you say that earlier? Yeah. Oh, okay. but, it's like I just said that, man. Welcome to the show, T-Bone. I, uh, well, I was scrolling through Twitter. I saw that's it, and fun. I was just was like, that's a great stat. Uh, but, that's uh, a great stat. Damn, I'm disappointed. Squirt I, wasn't, yeah, I deserve that one. I deserve that one. Listen, uh, listen to the show, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was reading the Typically, tweet about Donna's numbers. Did you read off his weighted runs created plus in the last month? I've also no, got go that in front of me. Us, uh, his WRC plus is 150. There there, that's go. the one I should have said. Because already told us that. Ah, but, I didn't say But no, I mean, if they're going to be the team that turns it around, it's these bats that are playing this this way, and they're coming through in the clutch, too. I mean, as much as we can look at and you can go, oh, well, Goldie's hitting 280. He's got an OPS of this over the last month. If they're not if they're not producing with when there's runners in scoring position, 
that's the biggest thing that's been the downfall for him because their overall numbers look great. But then when you start to dive in and you go, what's their, uh, what's Arnado's numbers with runners in scoring position, it's down. And that's the thing that's really kind of held them back. And, and that's no surprise because it's been a theme for this whole season for the team. But once they start producing with runners in scoring position, their numbers are going to stay about the same as what they have been. This team's going to start winning games and be able to go on that great run that BK's been talking about where they put up wait. numbers like the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, it's going to be great. They're 55 and 34 the rest of the way. That's what we're all looking for. So uh, one of the guys that is a part of this offensive resurgence has been Jordan Walker. And yesterday we saw him as a designated hitter for the Cardinals. I think he's going to be in the outfield today against a right hand or against a left-handed pitcher. You sound very confident. I'm not. I'm not confident at all. I um, think I, he's... It's possible that you end up seeing Dylan Carlson out there and they just go Dylan Carlson in, in right field, Tommy Edmond in center, and Lars Newbar in left. Part, or switch part the of me wonders if today's a Tommy Edmond day off too, though. Could be. I could see that. Could be where you go Lars in center, Carlson in right, and Walker in left. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the configuration will be, but if there's going to be a time when he gets out there, it's probably a day like today for Jordan Walker. Reason why I bring that up is because I think right now, you're seeing what the importance is of outfield defense. You saw that yesterday, and we've been talking about that for a while now. I wonder, would you guys be okay with the Cardinals using Walker the way that the Astros use Jordan Alvarez? This season, Jordan Alvarez has started 57 games. 35 of those have come as a designated hitter. 22 of them have come in left field. So he's getting roughly two of his three starts as a designated hitter. So if you have a three-game series, two of them come at DH, one of them is in the outfield, and then they continue on like that. Would you be okay with the Cardinals utilizing Walker that way, Alex? The rest of this season, yes. If and it, I'm not saying long-term, yeah. just for 2023. Absolutely, because that's going to be your best opportunity to pull yourself back into the playoff conversation is Jordan Walker as the DH because of what we just talked about. Your defense is going to be the reason you win baseball games. And unfortunately for Walker, that's not there long-term. No, I'm not on board with that. But if you're talking the rest of this season, yeah, if I need him at DH, then he's going to be solely DH unless the bat starts to fail because if the bat fails, then something's not right. Maybe I need to put him back in the outfield to get the the routine back for Jordan Walker. But the way he's hitting, yeah, you could be a DH the rest of the season for all I care. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I don't have a problem with him being the DH for the, kind of the rest of the year because, to Alex's point, you, you keep your best defense in the outfield. And we saw what that how that worked out yesterday for the Cardinals with two or three great plays in the outfield. I, I also think, too, and we talked about it earlier in the show, it helps you out in one-run games. Is having that best defense that's possibly out there play a little bit looser. You don't you don't see a fly ball on left, and you have like Ollie like have uh, McEwing cover his eyes because he's afraid to see what happens out there in left field. So I I don't mind doing that. I and I was I'm always the idea of if a guy can't develop defensively, I don't mind him being a DH long term. I said that going into the offseason with Nolan Gorman. I'm I'm not there with Jordan Walker yet. But if that's what ends up happening, and I don't think it will because he's just too athletically gifted, if that ends up what happening, it's okay if you have a guy that just becomes a DH. I think that's Alec Burleson's role. I think if, he, if he's going to be an everyday player, which I'm not sure he will ever be, but if he's going to be that guy, it's probably as a DH, and there's Talking nothing wrong with that. Yeah, because he, he's not great defensively. He's fine out there. But if you have better options and you need to get Burley in the lineup, it's okay to have him as a DH. Same conversation for Jordan Walker, in my opinion. I totally agree. I think you're not giving up on the idea of him as an outfielder. I think that the expectation should be that long-term, he's going to be a part of your mix in a corner spot somewhere. But right now, 
you're so far behind. If you were 10 games above 500 right now, you could probably get away with continuing to put him out in the outfield because the urgency is just so much different. But right now, those moments where he costs you a run, they become so big, so potentially overwhelming for this team that it sets them back in a meaningful way. So for now, yeah, if that means two out of three days, he's starting at DH and then the third day you get him into the outfield mix somewhere to get somebody else a day off. I got no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, I think that's probably the best way to handle it. Keep getting him out there. Get him some of those reps so that way you don't completely punt on this year as a developmental opportunity for Jordan Walker. And if at the deadline you're out of it and your team stinks and you've gone back into a hole, then sure, play him out there every day, either at or near the trade deadline and then certainly thereafter. But for right now, give yourself the best chance to really have an opportunity to get back into the mix in the NL Central. The best way for you to do that, now that Lars Newpar is back into the lineup, you got to go ahead and give an extended run here to uh, Jordan Walker as your designated hitter. I think that's the best way to go about it. I think you'll see, if I had to guess, I think you'll see him there tonight. I think you'll see him back at the DH. DH. Yeah. I, I think so too. I think they probably if they're going to give Edmund a day off, my guess would be tomorrow because it's a day game. That and it's against a right-handed pitcher. Like right now, who's your DH against a lefty if Walker's in the outfield? I don't really know. Luke who and Baker has been the guy that they've been going down. with. Yeah, he's not here oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So like, I, I just don't know who the guy would be. So that's why I think Edmund's probably tired and all. He's going to go. Please, Tommy, I just need one more day. One more day, and then you can be set. And he had a good good game last night as well. Oh, yeah. He's hobbling on one leg, <laughs> huffing on of a CO2 tank. Like, yeah, they, oh, cut, they, cut to the, they cut to the dugout, and oh, Tommy's got an oxygen I mask hope on. he's not huffing out of a CO2 mask. Yeah. That ends yeah. poorly. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah. It makes him feel like he's flying out there. Look alongside Alex Ferrario and Theodore Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going to dive into the junk drawer with one of the more unbelievable stories I've ever seen coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trust wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. biggest stories in the world right now is following a submarine that has been disappeared uh, in right, right around the Canadian area. And the backstory on this is unlike anything else that I've ever heard before in my life, including let me just give you like this is like a Mad Libs piece of the story. The Titanic is involved a submarine that is operated by a $30 PS3 controllers involved and a billionaire is a part of this story as well who may be lost at sea roughly five miles underneath the sea you interested very interested let's Um, go ahead and hear from CBS News breaking news in the desperate search for a small submersible that disappeared while taking a crew of five people to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean to view the Titanic shipwreck The search area is located about 720 miles from Halifax, Nova Scotia, where the wreckage sits about 13,000 feet below the surface. Coast Guard officials say the 22-foot submersible carries enough oxygen for about four days. Now, among the five people on board, according to family members, is explorer and British billionaire Hamish Harding. The last communication from the vessel was Sunday morning. So apparently this went missing on Sunday. Alex, I'm sure you have a lot of follow-up questions considering we are now on Tuesday and they've got five days worth of oxygen while they can continue living inside of this vessel. 
Yeah, the Coast Guard actually just said today that they've got 40 hours left yeah, of uh, breathable air. Not ideal. It's not what you're looking for. It's not what you Put want. it that way. So the reason why I wanted to talk about this story is, uh, one, because it's ridiculous, uh, and two, because of all of the follow-up questions that are necessary when you hear a report like so that. Many, so many of them. For example, why are you going to the bottom of the ocean to see the Titanic? That would be one. I no, think that is a that reasonable fun, question actually. to ask. Rather just watch the movie. Follow-up question to that would be, why are you doing that when you can't even see out of the submarine? The submarine is basically a tin can. Well, you got a little window in the no, front of it. you don't. <laughs> there is no way to see out of this thing. This thing's got You're a looking window. at a screen. The way that you are oh, able like to see, yeah, you are basically viewing the same way that you would for you or you or me here in this studio to see the screen of what is taking place outside of your submarine. So you're going five miles beneath the surface in order to see nothing that you couldn't see on the surface. And let's go ahead and take a listen to another CBS report. This is from a few months ago on this company called Ocean Gate, which, by the way, the irony of somebody calling their company Ocean Gate prior to anything bad happening. Um, let's go ahead and take a listen on what this thing is all about. An experimental submersible vessel that has not been approved or certified by any regulatory body and could result in physical injury, disability, emotional trauma or death. Where do I sign? We only have one button, that's it. It should be like an elevator. You know, it shouldn't take a lot of skill. The Titan is the only five-person sub in the world that can reach Titanic depths, 2.4 miles below the sea. And yet, I couldn't help noticing how many pieces of this sub seemed improvised. I got these from uh, Camper World. We run the whole thing with this game controller. <laughs> Come on! That is a real report that is not from The Onion. Alex, I'm looking at the controller that they yeah, I saw it. basically made into the thing that you are operating yeah. the entire submarine vessel with. I think PlayStation 2 controller, only cheaper. Yeah, it's uh, it's 40% off right now on oh. Amazon, actually. You could get it for $29.99. I do need a new PlayStation controller. Yeah. Well, now you can run a submarine. Nice. What did they think was going to happen here? This is their third trip that they've taken with, the, with this I'm thing. I'm surprised the third. first two were successful. Yeah. How in what world was this a good idea? I understand that. Hey, man, when you're a billionaire, like I'm not blaming the people that went on this mission. I, I, I would not do it myself, but I'm not blaming them. This guy oh, I should am. be charged with crimes for being negligent for what he was putting people out there to well, do. He might not have to be charged because he might not be surfacing after these well, no, next no, no, couple no, of days. I'm talking about the guy that owns this company. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, this I, is negligence. I, this is insanity. I think I also, I mean, I question the people's mindset on this because you know that this thing is experimental. You know that this thing is put together by a $30 remote control that I bought off of Amazon and I'm going to pay $250,000 to get on this thing? I question their standard, but you're absolutely right. Dude should be absolutely sued up to his ears with lawsuits if this I, kills all of these people. I cannot believe that somebody in a position of power looked at this thing, went inside of it, thought about what it was going to do and how they were going to do it and thought about all of the things that could potentially go wrong and then said, all right, thumbs up. We're good to go. Let's go ahead and put five people into this thing and see what happens from there. Yeah, you had two successful missions and that th the third one is going to happen. And if anything goes awry, 
you, people could die well, and what from were those, something like this. And what were those first two successful missions? Were we talking like, you know, a couple miles underwater and you're well, able to... They went to the Titanic. Oh, apparently. so they did the same trip two times. It sounds like it. Oh, I thought it was just like two experimental ones that worked and then, then they said, yeah, let's go to the Titanic. The whole idea behind this thing is you can go down to the Titanic. Oh, apparently the CEO's on the thing too. Oh, really? Oh, good. Okay. I've not seen that. Well, we don't have to worry about lawsuits then. <laughs> I mean, the family might. I mean, this is this entire story is insanity. I, I, I've never seen anything quite like this before. And they were talking yesterday about how difficult this rescue mission is going to be because it is in such an isolated area. You can't just like set up shop off the coast of Scandinavia and be like, OK, yeah, it's like two miles that way. You have to be in the middle of the ocean trying to operate this way. And they were saying how it's completely it's almost impossible to be able to project what the ocean currents are going to do when you're that low beneath the surface. There's a reason there's not many people that have gone to explore the Titanic for how deep it truly is. And and I'm reading this and apparently they did sign waivers that said death could occur. I know that was in the beginning of that report. So like these people knew exactly what they were doing. I, I don't know that they... I'm speaking for myself here. I, they, maybe they were completely warned of all of the dangers that could take place here. Alex, you've gone, I would assume, on something where you signed a waiver that said if the, a death occurs, this company is free of all potential issues that could come with litigation. I've done that. I went down to Mexico and we did the zip lining, right? It could technically be dangerous, and so they have to have you sign a waiver. I didn't assume that I was likely to die when I went on that zipline because other people have done it this happened twice and this is an experimental machine understood i would assume they probably thought it was safer than it ended up being if you're getting into this thing you you probably have been comforted by somebody that this is going to be okay and it clearly is not okay serious question if you're on and you know there's 40 hours left of air you start looking at people a little differently don't you start thinking like i took you out Provides me maybe a little more hours of air right now. Somebody on the text line said, can't they just go up? No, they can't operate anything from the inside. And then the worst part, remote control broke. They can't even open it from the inside. You have to open it from the outside. So even if they are potentially on the surface somewhere right now, which we don't know because we can't find it, they can't get out of this thing. And they may run out of oxygen because you can't open it unless you are opening it from the outside, which I understand for probably safety precautions. You have to have it that way because you don't want anybody potentially opening it on accident from the inside while they're at the bottom of the ocean. That would be bad. But, man, this is. And you couldn't. I wouldn't think nobody's trained to do like five miles up where you're in the water yeah, you think, hold your breath five miles to get out of the water possible and i think like, at that depth it's oh, kind of crush you yeah crush i was gonna say too. it would yeah. crush your in crush your insides we'll continue to stay apprised well, let's the go explore the titanic with guys. ocean gate as we get more information over the coming days so hopefully there are positive Look. signs that come Coming up next true yesterday was a nice rebound but that cannot become the norm for jack flaherty we'll talk about it next year on 101 espn We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The fact that he's able to bounce back from those outings and even if the fastball command isn't perfect, even if his velocity isn't up where it needs to be, 
he's got the arsenal to be able to work through it and figure it out. And also the mentality, I think, to be able to overcome when he puts up a crooked number to come back and then put up zeros. That's something that he's worked through his entire career. That's something that stands out to the coaching staff more than anything. Pretty impressive. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Alexa Dat on with the morning show earlier today. Guys, I, I was impressed. I'll be totally honest with you. With what we saw from Jack Flaherty in terms of finding a way to get through six and a third yesterday. I thought we were going to see either a repeat of what happened against San Francisco, where he was only able to get through four and a third before he threw a hundred pitches or what we saw from him against the angels where man, he couldn't even get through three innings, gave up 10 earned runs in that one. You never had a chance to be able to beat the angels. Instead, he gets you through six and a third. That's a positive. Now he did give up the six earned runs and that's not ideal, obviously, but he found a way to wayno it. He didn't have his best stuff and he still gets it to the back end of your bullpen with a chance to be able to win the game. And that's really all you can ask for. That being said, what we have seen from him over the last two games is not something that can continue because he has now given up a total of 20 hits, 12 earned runs, and opposing hitters are batting 426 with an OPS over 1,000 against him in his last two starts. And let's be honest, it could have been worse if not for a couple of outstanding plays behind him yesterday against one of the worst teams in all of baseball. If this team is going to have any chance of continuing this recent winning stretch, they are going to need more out of Jack Flaherty. That means his fastball command has to start improving. That means that even if he doesn't have his fastball command, he's got to be able to rely on some of that secondary stuff that he has. And he has to stop getting hit so damn hard, dude. Some of those shots that he allowed yesterday, they were bullets. This isn't like the early season Miles Michaelis stuff where it's, oh yeah, it's it's seeing eye singles. No, 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 no. They were hitting it hard consistently against Jack Flaherty yesterday. There were even a couple of them. Like there was a double play that was 105 miles per hour off of the bat that he just got lucky with, man. Just went into the glove of one of his infielders. So if not for that, that could have been worse. They need Jack to be able to get this thing back on track. I'll give him the credit for getting through six and a third, but that cannot become something that is uh, happening regularly for him. My problem with Jack is I still just don't know what I'm getting every single game. And and for somebody that I'm relying on to be at the top of my rotation, my, my, my go-to guide to get me out of my issues that that can't be the norm. And T-Bone, you had the numbers yesterday in terms of the first inning for Jack Flaherty. That's the bigger concern on my part right now is you've got a guy who every time he takes the mound, you're you're kind of expecting to be down by at least three runs before you get out of the first inning. And every single numbers that you look at with Jack Flaherty is like, man, how did he come away with the victory? It's because the offense found a way to come through or it's because he settled down late in the games. The problem is in those meaningful games, you're not going to give the opportunity to get that deep into a game because you're going to have to go to the bullpen faster. And it gets better teams. You're not going to be able to score the kind of runs that you did yeah. yesterday. That, that's you're the other get- thing. It's like, and- it was great that he got the support yesterday. If you're going up against Houston or New York Atlanta, or Miami, Atlanta. the teams that you're about to play against here pretty soon, uh, that same run support is, is unlikely to happen. So again, I'll give him the credit for b- battling through. And I'm not talking about the giving up six runs part of it. That was early. I will give him the credit for finding a way to not make your bullpen shot because that would have been the alternative yesterday. 
But his effectiveness within those six innings, it has to start improving. Otherwise, this team's not going to be able to put together consistent wins. And that's what they have to do for the rest of the way, basically. Yeah. And in his last three starts, I mean, the last two, he's given up six earned runs. But in his last three, two of those threes had to do the kind of what we're talking about, Wayno, which with Jack Flaherty, look, every now and then, it's okay if you have one of those starts where it's okay, at least you're able to give a six. But the Cardinals are banking on more from Jack Flaherty. And, and the tough part is, is. When you look at Jack Flaherty's numbers, because Alex mentioned this, you know, that first inning, and I I looked this up yesterday, six ERA in the first inning. Guys, what's what's frustrating is in the first three innings, 320 batting average against an 898 OPS. He's got 690 ERA. Innings four through six, a 162 ERA and a 590 OPS. So what is it that is working for him in innings four through six? Why can't he have that ready to go when the game starts? That's what he's going to have to figure out. I think I know. For what it's worth, I think we all know he's trying to figure out what he has on any given day. He doesn't know going into a start what he has available to him because his stuff is so inconsistent. Like one day he has a great fastball and he knows exactly where it's going. He's got the life on it. He's got the velocity and it's one of his best pitches. The next start, he doesn't have that fastball, whether it's because of the velocity or the feel for it in terms of the command. And so he goes to his uh, his off speed stuff or he goes to his breaking ball. And then the next start after that, okay, I don't have the fastball. I don't have my off-speed stuff. Now I'm going to have to play around with this cutter that hopefully is able to get me through a few innings and I can just buy myself time before I can find the feel again of these other pitches. I think that's what's happening. First time through the order, 890 OPS against. Second and third time through the order, 725 OPS against. That first time through, he's trying to figure out what he has on a day-to-day basis. He doesn't seem to know. And so it does take an inning or two for him to be able to figure that out before he finally starts to settle in. And I, I think you're right. I think the tough part for Jack is if he can just figure out whether it be earlier, like batter, two batters into a game and figure out, okay, I don't have my fastball. It's time to abandon it already until I can feel more confident and get myself into this game. Or just something that the coaching staff can pick up on that improves, I don't even say in velocity or effectiveness of the fastball just location of the fastball because if you can just kind of wipe out some of that right there whether it be the effectiveness with the fastball or just learn just okay two batters in i'm not gonna have the fastball time to go to the off-speed stuff right away jack flair is gonna be able i'm not gonna say he's gonna be on the ace level and get all that swing and miss but he's gonna be able to be effective innings one through six instead of what we've seen the two of the last three outings where it is the first one to three innings have been pretty shaky but then he's able to do a nice job of settling down and get you that six innings because if he can just settle down this beginning of games He's going to be effective in terms of giving you at least six innings in like one, two runs and give you that chance to win games against the really good teams that though he's gotten lucky and not ran into him yet, he's going to run to at some point and this given up six earned runs or five earned runs in the first two innings. The offense just isn't going to be able to come back from. I mean, call me crazy, but if you haven't figured that out by now, are you going to figure it out this season? I don't know because we've seen starts. The Texas Rangers game is one I go immediately to looked like he figured it out and knew what he was doing. See, I don't even like... I know he didn't give up any earned runs, and it's tough to say this. I didn't even think Jack was all that great in that game because he had so many walks. But he in that didn't game. have his primary pitch and went to others, and it worked for him. And he didn't do that yesterday. I thought that was pretty similar to what we saw yesterday. Yeah. It, it, the difference is the results. The difference is some of the some of the batted balls that didn't end up dropping against Texas did yesterday. And so you don't have the command early of your fastball against Texas, which was his biggest issue. He he ditches it after like the second inning and then you see the effectiveness 
the results, it is playing the results a bit here, but you ended up giving up a bunch of hits early on in this game against Washington. And then the rest of the way, you figure out how you're going to be able to get through it. BT was mentioning it a lot on the broadcast yesterday. It was mostly with this cutter. And so you, f- you find a way to navigate, right? And that's the same thing that he did against Texas. I would say so far this month, in the month of June, most of his starts have kind of been the same in that regard. He starts off slow either because he doesn't have command, he doesn't have velocity, he doesn't have a feel for one of his other pitches, and then he eventually figures out, okay, what can I go to that will get me through five-plus today? And he finds a way. And so I will give him credit for that. We give Wayno credit all the time about finding a way to get through five, battling through. Okay, we'll do the same for Jack. But the expectations for Jack are more than that. The expectations that he placed on himself and that the organization has placed in him are to at least at this point be a number three starter for you. And what he's been so far this month is he's given up 29 hits and 10 walks in 22 innings. That is 39 base runners in 22 innings. It's too much. It's a 5.3 ERA this month. It's not good enough. He's got to start becoming a better pitcher for the Cardinals. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to sustain this stuff because your momentum is only good as good as your next day starter. And right now when he's on the mound, you don't feel like you're going to be able to sustain that momentum. Did you guys feel early on like it was done? Because I did. Oh, yeah. Oh, Watching yeah. that game early yeah. on, I was like, oh, okay. So they won two games. The next day starter stunk, and they were able, and then they ended up getting beat by the worst team in the National League. I thought that was going to be the tune Same of today's Same story, show. different day. Yep. And that's, and that's what the concern was, and that's the part. And as much as you give the credit to Jack Flaherty, you give more credit, I think, to the defense and the way that the offense, because they gave him the momentum and the runway to get back into the game. And yeah. Ollie showed the faith and said, go figure it out, and he did, which you do give props to. But, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a massive loss in the terms of this team trying to get on a win streak and then losing again if Jack Flaherty doesn't get the support that he got from the outfield. He needed it yesterday, and the Cardinals needed it yesterday in a bad way. Today, you've got uh, Jordan Montgomery on the mound. He's been pretty darn good in the month of June so far. Gone 18 innings in his three starts with a 2-0 ERA. You need some more of that. Uh, You need him to be able to continue with the uh, the strikeout stuff that he's had so far this month. He's been a better pitcher than he was in the month of May. So fingers crossed that that continues because you need guys to be able to stack those quality starts on top of one another. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We're playing a game of bet it or forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the error comfort service text line for bet it or forget it guys bet it or forget it the Cincinnati Reds finish with at least 90 victories this season they're at 38 and 35 right now they have won each of their last nine games against St. Louis Kansas City Houston and Colorado I'm gonna forget this one that's a daunting task for a team that's just starting to show up uh, to win. So what they'd have to win like 60, what was the 50, 56 again? more games. They'd have to win to get to 90, 52, 52 more. Yeah. Ooh, that's going to be tough. So I'm going to say, I'm going to forget this one. They'd have to go 52 and 32 the rest of the way. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to forget it too because I, I just think 85 is about where 85 is basically like a 500 team to win a division. Slightly better, but whoever wins the division is going to be slightly better than 500. And I think the Reds, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, they're going to have a stretch where they start to go through some struggles. Like Ellie Daly Cruz, he's going to start to struggle. They were talking on the, I watched some of the Reds game last night when they were playing Colorado. They're talking on the broadcast how he is now getting a lot more. He's getting pitched in reverse, so he's getting a lot of early changeups, early Call breaking balls. Dylan Carlson. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's basically about to get the Dylan Carlson treatment. They just lost Hunter Green to the IL uh, when they activated Joey Votto. So I, I think they're going to go through stretches where they're going to be really cold and they're going to be really hot. I think 85 is about where whoever wins this division. I don't even think it's going to be Cincinnati, but that's about where they're going to – that's who it's going to take, so I'm going to say forget this. I will be interested to see how Joey Votto impacts that team. Looks good he last night. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I won that put, game for him. I think you put him back in that roster that's got that new new energy from the young kids, and then you put a Joey Votto last hurrah. It'll be intriguing to see how they go the rest of the way. Yeah, I like Joey Votto a lot. He has he was not the same player last year, and maybe that was because of the injury, but he just did not look good. So I'll be curious to see how he plays this year as well. It's possible he ends up being more of a bench guy for them than it is a, an everyday starter. I'm not going to buy this either. I'm not believing it. Uh, I think that they finish with like 85 wins. I think they're the team to beat. If there's anybody in the NL Central right now that I would latch on to, it's Cincinnati. They've got all of the good feelings that you could ask for. Those young players don't know better than the fact that they're, they should, they feel like they should be the best team in the NL Central because of the talent that they've accumulated on that roster. So I'm not going to bet it that they get to 90. I think they do get to 85 though. And I think that's what the Cardinals are going to end up kind of having to beat. All right, let's go to the blue side, guys. Bet it or forget it. The Blues got the prospect camp coming up the weekend of the 4th of July. At least two of the participants in the prospect camp will contribute to the Blues this upcoming season. I haven't looked at the list of guys that are going to be at that prospect camp, so I have a little bit of a tough time with this. Do, do you have a list? I, of I mean, it's essential. I mean, the, the guys that we're talking about here are Bull Duke, um, Zachary Dean, a couple of defensemen. Yeah, and then not, of course the goaltender, not betting yeah. that at all. I'm not either, because I think the only guy that would have a chance, it would be like one of maybe Bull Duke or Dean. And I don't even think Bull Duke's ready. So it would have to be Dean. I don't think they're going to have anybody that comes out of this prospect camp. I think if you're going to see, if you would have said like, Two years from now, I may bet that, but I, I just don't see it right now. I did it. I don't even think anybody made it from the prospect camp last year. Uh, maybe neighbors. May, neighbors may yeah. have been there, but mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna for, I'm gonna forget this. I don't, I don't see Tucker that. Tucker was on it last year too. I'm actually gonna bet this one because I I think Zach Dean is the one that's gonna start the season with one the of these team. Goalies takes a job from Bennington. I can see it happening. No, I don't do you think, think they're that's gonna, gonna add anybody then. What do you mean? I don't know how Zach Dean makes the that's roster. That's what I'm saying. Unless they somebody. make some type of trade, which. I, in terms of the center position, I could see him adding some type of winger and chipping somebody out, and they don't want to do Buchnevich yet at the center position. I think Dax or Zachary Dean is going to be that third center. The one that I'm interested in is Bull Duke. I wonder mid-season or end of the season if he's doing well in the AHL. He comes up and he tr- they try and get a little bit of spark from him in terms of offense. So I'm going to say bet this one. Interesting. I it, That means that the season did not go well. <laughs> if... if if they're having to rely on guys that are that young to be top nine forwards by the middle of the season, it probably means either there was significant injuries or they decided to move off Verona or Kapanen probably via trade at the deadline. Um, so I could see how they end up getting there, but it means that our optimism was unfounded for the 2023 season. Yeah, guys, bet it or forget it. I'm going to go back to baseball, and I, I like the division one that you had. So bet it or forget it. 
The Cardinals' final series of the year, home against the Cincinnati Reds, Ooh. is a series that determines the NL Central hey, winner. Man, you know oh, I'm being optimistic yeah. about this team yeah, right now. I, know, I might I as well you, go ahead and bet it. You got both teams playing like the Baltimore yeah. Orioles. So uh, 52 and 22 to get to 90. Cardinals had to basically be the same. I'll say bet it not because I'm optimistic. Bet it because that's how the season seems to always go for the Cardinals. They find a way. They go on a run. It comes down to the final series of the year, and they either skirt in and people are thinking, oh, here they come, or they'll lose by one game and say, well, they're always in it till the end of the season. I'm going to forget it. I, I don't think they're going to be playing for the division in that final series. I, I I could see where Cincinnati's still in it. I'm still skeptical of this Cardinals team turning around to where they can make up this ground and get back to where that series is the one that determines it all. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better or forget it. Guys, better or forget it, the rookie of the year in the National League will come from the NL Central. I'm not betting this. I think Corbin Carroll is the clear-cut National League Rookie of the Year this year. If you, I saw yesterday on MLB Network, they did a side-by-side of Corbin Carroll's rookie season so far with Mike Trout's rookie season, and you could make an argument for what we've seen so far from Corbin Carroll. He's been unfreaking believable, so I think he ends up winning the National League Rookie of yeah, the Year. Yeah, there's no catching him, and I'm with you on that one, so I'm going to forget this. Yeah, I forget it too. Corbin Carroll, I mean, he's clear-cut the best guy out there to win that award right now. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air covered service X line. Better to forget it. Jordan Montgomery will be a Cardinal in 2024. Man, I would have said forget it, but now that Jack is continuing to struggle and I don't know what they're going to do come trade deadline time, if they're able to acquire a starting pitcher, I might say bet this one just because they might look at this and say like, hey, Jordan Montgomery may not have had the best season. So maybe he... Maybe his market's not where he thought it was. You get a one-year deal to see if you do it one more year or the qualifying offer sets in. So I'm actually going to bet this one. I, I think they buy into Jordan Montgomery for one more year. I'm forgetting it. I don't think there's any chance Jordan Montgomery's back. I, I think he's either dealt at the deadline or you stick it out. I don't even know if I would slap the qualifying offer on him. I, I could see where they just let him walk in free agency. And even if his market did fall down, you're like, hey, maybe we could kick the tires on it again. I'd go, Mo, no. We, we need to reset this whole Agreed. pitching staff. So, no, I, I forget like this. roll up a newspaper and slap yeah. it. No, yeah. no, you do no. it in bad mode. Bad. No. We need new pitchers that swing and miss stuff. You go outside. Yeah, agree. Yeah, literally don't. outside the organization. I think there's a 0% chance he's back next year, unless he accepts the QO. That would be the one caveat that I would give here is, like, if they end up slapping that on him, I, I'd be shocked if he does it, but they decided hey we're gonna give you the qo and he says okay well i'm gonna take it 20 million bucks next year i'll go ahead and take that to the bank uh then maybe he's back i'd be pretty surprised by that i do not think jordan montgomery will be back i think they will appreciate him for his services and they decide to move on and get somebody that's a little bit better for what they need right now guys better to forget it zion williamson will be traded before the nba draft which is just two days away now I'll bet think Zion one. will be traded by the end of the night on Thursday. I'll bet this one just because if everything's that's been going on on the outside with him, I, their New Orleans has got to be looking at that thing, and we might need a fresh start in this position. And I don't know who he gets traded to. I saw that. I think we were talking about it on Get Up today that uh, Portland, Charlotte, and Portland seem to be the two that are connected. They were to saying the that Dame Lillard <laughs> staying there is essentially like you got to trade that third overall pick and get somebody with some NBA like veteran presence. I don't think you trade a third overall pick for Zion Williamson, but that might make sense. I guess it just depends. Like, what Zion am I getting? Is he playing for me? Because if no. he's playing for me, if he, I can guarantee that he's going to play 60 games next year, I would trade the third overall pick in a heartbeat for mm-hmm. Zion Williamson. I can't do that. The guy's played 120 games in his NBA career. So, like, I, 
I don't know how I could possibly expect that to to change all of a that sudden. That seems like a Portland trade and it not work out and everyone that complaining. That feels Charlotte-y. That feels very Charlotte it Hornets-like. Feels like, it feels like both, if I'm yeah. being honest. I could see we're both doing it. I'm going to forget it, though. I, I don't think it happens before the draft. I, I can't see... I, there's just so much limited time left. I'm not even sure he gets dealt. I, I think he ends up staying in New Orleans. I, I, New I'm Orleans, forgetting it. I don't think he ends up getting traded. Yeah, I, I don't think New Orleans is going to get the value they want for him Agreed. because everybody's going to buy low right now where you've got him having all the off the field or off the court, like, I, wouldn't, I don't know if you call them questions, but just the whole scandal that's going on there. I don't think that stuff's going to play into it at all. He's just if unhealthy. I'm totally honest. Yeah, yeah he's I'm unhealthy, and that's the biggest thing. And, and, like, I mean, you mentioned Dame getting him. Dame's had trouble staying on the court recently. I mean, you want to talk about the next Brooklyn Nets kind of duo, that that might be it right there where those guys just aren't playing all that often. Yeah, I, I don't think he ends up getting dealt just because I – I think that what you guys are saying is totally true. I don't think that anybody's going to value Zion the way that they would need to in order for the Pelicans to decide to move off from him. I I think the upside is too high. It's too great. It's almost like the Cardinals in the offseason. Now, it could fail exactly like it did with the Cardinals. Cardinals bet on the upside of Tyler O'Neill. Why? Because we've seen it. When he's healthy, it's really, really good. The problem is he's never healthy and he's never at 100% like he was in 2021. And I think that's probably going to be the most likely outcome for Zion as well. They're going to keep him. They're going to regret it. And they're going to move forward, hoping, hoping and praying that eventually he can stay healthy. Coming up next, we are in a new cycle in the NHL. Where do the Blues rank among the teams that have been legitimate contenders over the last 15 years, though? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So I always like kind of going big picture with the Blues during the offseason. And the Athletic put out a good piece earlier today, Alex, on the best teams in the NHL's salary cap era. So this is dating back to the 0506 season. And they gave points for winning the Stanley Cup, making it to the Stanley Cup final, losing in the conference final, or just making the playoffs, right? They assigned points for each of those. And then based on those points, they put you through a a power ranking of where do you rank in the NHL? So for the St. Louis Blues, they ended up at number 10 on this list. They're tied with the Carolina Hurricanes and the San Jose Sharks. Sounds about right. Top third. You look at the beginning of that era. That was a little bit of like the, the ascent for the Blues. And then now at the back end of it, you've got the decline as well. Above them on this list includes typical customers. Pittsburgh, Tampa, Chicago, Boston. I think that tier and then L.A. as well, you could throw into that. It's kind of the upper echelon of teams in this last 15 years or so of the NHL. But then you've got Anaheim, Detroit, Washington, and the New York Rangers. So these are the best teams over the last uh, basically 15 years in the NHL. Alex, as I was going through this list, it was hard not to notice many of those teams that I just mentioned, Blues included, are going through the retool era right now you look at pittsburgh they're clearly trying to retool this thing they don't want to give up on it because you've still got Sidney crosby but you're retooling right now you look at chicago well you got the first overall pick i would say it's full rebuild at this point in time for them the la kings i think they are kind of going through a competitive rebuild and they already did what the blues are trying to accomplish right now as well yeah, so they have had it. a situation similar 
Anaheim is picking second in the NHL draft. Detroit is ninth. Washington is eighth. The Rangers, I'm not totally sure what they're trying to accomplish right now, honestly, given what happened to them at the end of last season. You could totally see them going through a retool as well. And oh, by the way, they picked Alexi Lafreniere for a reason. And it's because through, they were picking up at the top of the draft. And have gone through like three head coaches in six years. It's kind of amazing how this era of the NHL, we're starting to see it turn on its face. We're starting to see the teams that were really bad for a 10-year stretch, Buffalo, for example, they're on the rise. Colorado, who had a ton of top picks, they're on the rise. We're seeing this all across the league now, and I'm going to be curious to see how the Blues are able to pivot. What does it look like as they try to do what Detroit's been trying to do for a while or LA's been trying to do for a little while? What's this next era of Blues hockey going to look like? It's really interesting to look at those teams because all of them, in my opinion, other than the Blues, have gone through that rebuild mode. Now, I guess you could argue the Blues at the beginning of that salary cap era went through it. That was the rebuild mode when they started post-lockout and had Johnson and Petrangelo and Tarasenko and Schwartz, and then the competitiveness came in. But what the Blues are trying to do is different from all of these other teams in terms of retooling on the fly and staying competitive to where they don't have to do what Colorado did or San Jose is doing right now or what Arizona and Philly are doing in terms of blowing it up and having to start from scratch. The Blues are trying to get the talent in there, buy into the talent that they've got and retool on the fly. It's what Doug Armstrong had told Jeremy Rutherford about what they did going from the Bacchus era into the Petrangelo and Steen era. You retooled on the fly so you didn't have to go into that long-term rebuild all of these other teams, they're either headed forward in the next couple of years. Pittsburgh and Washington are about to go through what Anaheim's going through right now whenever Crosby and Malkin decide to call it a career because they don't have the talent in the pool. They've traded it all away to stay competitive. Washington the exact same way. Detroit right now is in the thick of it trying to come out on the other end. Anaheim is still going through it. Meanwhile, you got the Blues who are right there in the middle that says, one bad year, we stayed competitive, one bad year, let's see if we can flip that quick enough to put us back in that competitive window. Are the Blues the only team, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, Alex, of the top 10 teams that we mentioned, Pittsburgh, Tampa, Chicago, Boston, LA, Anaheim, Detroit, Washington, New York, and then the Blues, are they the only one that hasn't had a top like five pick in this yeah. stretch? Yeah. More, more, most likely, I would imagine, because like just list them off right there once again. Because like, Pittsburgh, you've got Pittsburgh had multiple ones. They had Crosby, Latang, and Malkin. Tampa had Stamkos and Braden Point and Victor Hedman. Chicago, that's Chicago, how they built their Stanley yeah. Cup team. Um, San Jose has had it the last couple of years. L.A. has had it that put them into that window. The Rangers had two bad years where they went first and second overall. Washington, Washington that's how they Washington had Ovechkin there. and Backstrom and Well, how far are you um, going the back? Defenseman. It's like the Blues had Johnson at, or what was it, one? Yeah, that was it. That was the only, well, and then Petro, Pet, Petro was four. Ten, or yeah, was the top only five, two. yeah. This so. is the only two that you have done, and that's the part about it, too, is you did it twice and then have been competitive since. Those other teams have done it three, maybe four times to get to that point, unless they were selecting first overall. What year was Johnson? 2006. That was right okay. at the start, so of, that right at the start of this. Okay. And then two years later, it was Petro at 2008. So if you, if you went like 07 on... Yeah, that is something that actually gives me a lot of faith about Doug Armstrong, because that's basically the Doug Armstrong era is what we're talking about here. And if you look at from 07 on, the Blues have had one top five pick, really one top 10 pick. And that's Alex Petrangelo. 
their ability to piece this thing together by whether it's draft picks or just really smart trades, getting the right guys in free agency. I know there's been some misses, certainly, but every team has misses. Um, Their ability to do that over the years gives me a lot of faith and belief that they're going to be able to do it again in this offseason. And the capital that they've accumulated from what they did at the trade deadline also helps in that regard as well because now you do have that top 10 overall pick and you've got two others that you can play with i just i I have a lot i think when i see something like this it's a reminder for me i don't know if it is for everybody else that man doug armstrong being able to be in this top 10 category getting to a stanley cup and winning it and consistently getting to the playoffs and not having these assets to use the way that other teams in this mix did it speaks really highly to his ability to find the right guys, even when he's not picking in that top five, top and 10. Think about this too. As bad as the blues were this year, you were 10th worst. Like yeah. you weren't top five. You still don't have a top five pick. You haven't been that bad since 2008. Meanwhile, every other team that's in front of you on this list has been bad enough to be one of the top three worst teams in the National Hockey League for three consecutive seasons. L.A. did that to get to this point. San Jose's doing it right now. Detroit did it for multiple seasons. You're doing it once, and you're not even that bad. So maybe next year is bad again, and you get into the top six. You're still in a better trajectory than all of those other teams because of how long they had to suffer through that rebuild to get back to that point. By the way, somebody on the text line asked about Edmonton, where they rank on this list. It is kind of remarkable, despite all of the talent that they've had. They're 20th on this list. So Toronto's 28th. Well, yeah, look at how, I mean, Edmonton has butchered top first overall picks multiple times. You got Neil Yakupov. You traded away Taylor Hall. You've still got Nugent Hopkins, who's in a third-line role. The, the only times you've nailed top picks has been Dreisaitl, who wasn't even a first overall pick, and Connor McDavid. Yeah. And McDavid was basically gifted to you. Toronto at 28. Um, you've, you've got a team like Calgary, who it feels like always has stars. It, it, like every... Every year, we feel like we're we're ready to put them up into that list of the top contenders. They're 26th on this list. Florida, great run this year, yeah. 25th on this list. Even Minnesota, who we talk about as a team that's kind of like that model organization, 20th. It's You know what it is? It's the point where we've made of, like, the draft is tough. you got to nail it with these guys. But it doesn't matter unless you have the right roster in place around it. And that's the one thing that the Blues have that these other teams didn't have at the time. It's a lot of fun to watch, and we are one week away from the NHL draft. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson will be in Nashville with their boots on the ground for the Blues as they make their 10th overall country pick. Music. Looking forward uh, to that. We'll do the boot scooting boogie out of here. Hey, by the way, the opening drive, they're going to be helping to host the Big League Impact's Cardinals in London watch party. It's this Saturday at Patios in downtown. Redbirds are heading to London to take on the Chicago Cubs. You can watch the game on Saturday afternoon at Patios with the opening drive. Enjoy a fun-filled afternoon with trivia games your chance to win autographed memorabilia as well it's all hosted by randy carrie and brooke proceeds will help to support the big league impact you can check out all the details at 101espn.com we'll hit the rewind coming up next we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
of our show today. Be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. In about five minutes or so, we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals versus the Astros, so stay tuned for that. But, Alex, I want to finish today's show by uh, talking a little bit more about the Cardinals as we head into tonight's game, game two against the Washington Nationals. Cardinals hoping to win four straight with this one. I want to ask you about the outfield because yesterday we saw for the first time what it was going to look like with Lars Newtbar into the mix. And they decided to go with uh, an outfield that consisted of Donovan, Newtbar, and Edmund. Edmund continued to be in center field patrolling that area for them. Not just for tonight, but basically the rest of this first half. What do you think the majority of the games the outfield will consist of? Was that what we're going to see, or do you think it'll look a little bit different? I, I I believe that's what we're going to see because the bats are also going to play, and if Donovan is a good enough defender, which we've seen him be able to be in the outfield, and Gorman continues to play the way he's playing at second base, it comes down to do we want to keep Gorman's bat in the lineup to get it going, or do we want to put Dylan Carlson in the lineup because of his defense and maybe his bat gets going? And I think you saw it yesterday with the decision that Gorman's going to continue to fight through this, whatever slump he's going through, play at second base. Jordan Walker's your DH, and I can see this being a Donovan Newt Bar Edmund outfield and then as the game goes along you continue to move things around yeah I, I think what they're going to do is I think you're going to see most of that outfield Donovan Newt, or Donovan Edmund Newt Bar except it's going to be a platoon in the left is my guess I, I think Carlson's going to get starts or maybe not so much in the left he may go to right and Newt goes to left but against left-handed pitching I think they're going to want to get Carlson in that outfield and then it just comes down to what do they want to do with Gorman it certainly sounds like right now that they're still sticking with the mantra of we're just going to let him continue to get at bats and swing out of it, but I don't know how much longer they will attempt to do that. At some point, they may have to consider pulling him from the lineup, and when they do that, I think they then go to Carlson and left and move Donovan back to second. But I think right now the hope for them is that Donovan and Carlson are kind of a platoon where Carlson's starting against left-handed pitching. Like I think he's in the lineup tonight. I don't know where. I think they probably start Donovan at second base with Walker at DH. Yeah, I think it's a platoon, but I think it's Gorman and Carlson that are platooning. Like it. It's those two guys that are in or out, depending on the handedness yeah, of yeah. the opposing We're pitcher. We're saying the same thing, I, except gotcha. I'm just looking at it, the position in the outfield. So I think Donovan kicks down to second base against lefties, and then he's in in the outfield yeah. against yeah. against righties, and that's your way of de- deciding, hey, Carlson, you're going to get the starts against left-handed pitching, and when we're going against righties, we're still going to continue to believe, to your point there, Alex, that Gorman is going to be able to find his way through this thing. Because right now, man, is he struggling. He's striking out like 50% of the time in the month of June. It's just been a real adventure for him. I know that there's a lot of people that want to see them move on from Paul DeYoung. I, I just don't think it's going to happen, guys. I don't know that there's a reason to. Right now, he is not your worst hitter. That's Nolan Gorman, and he's been a plus defender. So if you're looking for how do they get uh, – what what has to happen for Paul DeYoung to lose that everyday position, it would require Nolan Gorman to hit at a really high level consistently, and then it probably requires Dylan Carlson to hit at a really high level at the same time because then you would need to get both of them in, a, in the lineup on a day-to-day basis, and that would then push Tommy Edmond back to shortstop. Yeah. Or, or and this wouldn't happen because I don't think he's going to be getting a lot of outfield starts, Walker's defense becomes not a liability. 
and then you can throw him in the outfield defensively, and you can move Edmund back down to well, I guess not because Edmund would they view him as the best center yeah. fielder. And so I, I guess that's a wash. And I don't see that happening with Walker this season. If that's happening, it's going to happen in the off season, winter ball, fall league, and then next year he's all right, I had not. A, I had one of those like thoughts, and then I didn't filter it all the it's, way. It, and you know what? Just don't say bad. it next time. Yeah, I, know, yeah. I, I think it would require you, you're going to need to see Carlson <laughs> hitting really well. You're going to need to see Gorman hitting really well, and then Edmund at that point. If you've got Dion going through one of those extended slumps, you slide Edmund back to shortstop, and now you've put probably Carlson or Newt, whoever you feel better about, in that center field spot. Um, that's the only way that it happens, though, and I don't see that happening anytime in the near future. DeYoung's earned himself a little bit of a longer run here, and neither Carlson nor Gorman have really pushed the envelope there to make that decision necessary as well. Hey, 101 ESPN has your chance this week to win a four-pack of tickets for next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals versus the Astros. Next week's Bud Bash game features a limited edition hard-hit Mark Witten bobblehead. You can text in right now at 314-399-9646 and you'll win Bud Bash tickets to Cardinals versus the Astros. You can find full details on this at cardinals.com slash promotions. If you're texter number 101 right now and you can tell us what the bed was, what was the song that played at the end of our open to the show today? There was one specific song that played at the end of our open today. If you can name that song and you're texter number 101, you're going home with a four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus the Astros. Alex, what's your prediction for tonight? Do the Cardinals come come out on top? I think they'll come out on top on this one, too, and keep the streak alive. T-Bone? I'll go 7-3 Cardinals win. Four straight, baby. Jordan Montgomery gets a quality start. Cardinals win it 8-1 to tonight in Washington. Looking Bob. forward to it. Ooh, I like that one. Wow, he really likes that one. Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson puts him on the board with a home run like early in the well, he is. Be playing, so. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. Mo? No. Roll up a newspaper and slap yeah. a no. No, you do no. that bad, Mo. Bad. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.